Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From Riverwalk Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the cube, the cube, the cube, the cube, the cube. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 78 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer podcast. I'm your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan, fan of the NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks. So there's that. Yep, yep, yep. And <laughs> congratulations to the Bucks and to the city and all the fans and everybody else. It's been great for everyone here, especially living downtown like this. It's been really cool to see how excited people have been. I bet this whole week has just been absolutely wild. It was not here, Dan. Tuesday through, like, even just this weekend. Well, Tuesday night was a madhouse, I'm We sure. had just downstairs, just downstairs, on the three of the patios, we probably had over 50 people who were out partying till God knows when. And, you know, we expected that. And then the parade day, we just saw, like, throngs of people walking down the river walk and everything. Just like this mass mic towards yeah <laughs> towards the parade because like to put it all in context for folks who don't get it the state of Wisconsin doesn't have like very large populous cities no. like Milwaukee proper is about 600 ish yeah. thousand so the stadium and the area immediately surrounding it in the deer district qualified as the fifth largest city in the state of Wisconsin on Tuesday nights there were close to listeners a hundred thousand people in that area and just think about that yeah yeah, plus 20,000 yeah, 20, in the stadium. There were 65 insane. in the Deer District. And then if you include the the bars that you know wrap around yeah. Plaza where the stadium is, the city of Milwaukee estimated that, that was over 100,000 people, yeah. which would put it in the range of third largest city <laughs> in the state. So, so it, it had a huge impact. And it was still amazing that for a small market team like this, you could get that many people who were mm. that excited to get together. It was really fun and great time. So all good. Congratulations to the Bucks and winning the NBA championship. So on to other things. What we're actually here for is we are going to hit up our second part of our three-part Sigmar 3.0 trilogy. And in this one, we're going to go on the road. Uh, we got to our first full five-game tournament of the year. Yep. We went to Circle City Clash down in Indianapolis. I'm going to talk about the event overall and some things that went on and just kind of give you a little time track. But we're also going to talk about how we felt that 3.0 affected the tournament and our games. And afterwards, kind of things that we may do differently things we're aware of now that we know were important we really didn't think about going into the tournament it's important to remember the context up to this point where we've really only been playing games within our own club from the release of 3.0 until this event so this was our first interaction with people outside of our own immediate group who are going to be looking at the same problem set and potentially driving to different solutions how they approach missions, how they approach list building, how they approach grand strategies, how they approach battle tactics. And it's important to stress test your ideas in in spaces like that if you're looking to play in a competitive space because you always have to be looking to evolve until your evolutions are minor ones or looking for hard counterplay to the accepted knowledge and best methodologies within that space. Sure. 
So we're going to hopefully pick up on all that during our conversation. And we're going to divide it into two parts. We're basically going to go day one, so games mm-hmm. one through three, and then games four and five on day two. Yep. And that's how we'll break it out. Compared to some of the other episodes, should be a shorter one. Yeah, a little bit. And we are going to move our normal games played in terms of Sigmar stuff, obviously, to our Emperor Lies section, because that's where we're really going to focus on that. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, let's move on to Whispers from the Warp, Brendan, and talk about stuffs. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Brendan, hobby time. You... Yeah, I painted up uh, Radicar because I saw Tracy from Partner at War was running hers with some Blood Knights, and I thought it was a pretty slick list, and Mm -hmm. her Radicar looked super fantastic and awesome, and so when I got home, I made it a priority to paint mine. Sure. Whether I had a list for it or not totally and completely was separate and independent from that, but it was just such a cool model to see done and in person that mm-hmm. I wanted to go do mine. Okay. And then I painted, like, three Felbats or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty chill. You know, obviously, okay. between last episode and this one, you know, I finished up painting all my <sighs> zombies. I put everything yes. on bases. It was more relaxed than other events, but it was but, ni- it was nice to kind of have, like, a, a bit of an urgency of the now and having to, yeah. you know, be like, okay, when I get home, I got to make sure that I do this, 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 and this today. And so that way I can do this, 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 and the other tomorrow, and that'll have me done at this point. So then we can leave on time and it not be a, a stressful endeavor. But sure. yeah, it's just All been good. soul blight, soul blight, soul blight. Yeah. So that's it. What about you, Dan? You had a display board to finish up. I did. So I got the display board done. It turned out pretty well. I was really happy with it. Uh, we got a graveyard on there, obviously. It's Night Haunt and just some other elements. It turned out pretty nicely. And that was that week kind of the the week after the last episode and into the the week before the event i was still working on that and then i still had 20 more zombies i wanted to get done in case i killed some people and i needed extras when they became zombies so i got all 60 of them painted and finished nice and that was great not really any stress there like you it was was just kind of a slow and steady thing and i knew i was going to get them done but getting that display board done was really the Big focus. Then coming back from Circle City, took a couple days off. I think like a lot of people probably did. But then I remembered that for my friend Nick, I still have my deer antler project. And I had promised him mid-August I was going to have these things done. And I've been working on... Clock's sick in my guy. Yeah. (laughs) And so since I don't need anything really, I've got 20 Herodons I need to paint, but that's a couple days work, a couple few days. My focus at least is going to be on the antlers and getting those sculpted and you know, washed and and finished for him. I have to work on those outside, Brendan, because there's a lot of dust and chips flying around and stuff. When it turns 90, 95 outside, I really don't want to be sitting out there for three or four hours working on his stuff. So Friday was two days ago. I ended up coming inside and going over all my vamper stuff because I have lots of it in boxes. And then yesterday I had a, a build binge. So I did my zombie dragon, my grandma... Uh, Belladama. I did Ritzka, the prince, and then Ritzka, I did yeah. Necromancer. So I got all those done yesterday. Just built. And I think my skellies, a box of skellies is going to be my next thing. Because I've already got 10 of those painted from Curse City. Nice. And I've already got a paint scheme for them. So that's really cool. This coming week, I think, again, once it cools down a little bit, I'll be back on the antlers. And I'm going to hold off, I think, on the Herodons until we play a game or two before Circle City just to see and kind of validate that they're something that'll work. Sure. And then if not, then I have nothing else to paint for Nashcon, which will be great. 
So that's been my hobby. Pretty busy, really, with all stuff, including the Antler Project. <laughs> okay, so that's hobby. New stuff. So new stuff. The 40K B-Snagus for the Oric. Orcs, not orcs, orcs. Yeah, I didn't realize that was all being sold in like one big box until... Yeah, and it was gone. It just disappeared. Sold out. No shock there. It's, it's the way that goes. Our store had two yesterday, and, and that was really surprising to yeah. me. And Because I, I don't know why I thought it was this way, but I thought it was going to be just, you know, like a regular mm-hmm. release to start where it was no. just a bunch of boxes. And I was like, where's Ooh. all the new orc stuff? And he's like, this right here. And I was like, oh. It's it's monstrous, yeah. It was sold out online anyway. It was sold, and he had a couple. That's great. We also have the next book in the Warzone Charidon for Crusade. You know the narrative play, and we got another mission pack for that. That came out. We saw some previews of the big Cruel Boys Vulture Buddy, which is kind of cool. It's a really neat model. Yeah, obviously that range is going to end up being really, really unique in its mm-hmm. visual appearance and. I hope that they get a really unique playstyle to go along with it, because I think mm-hmm. that's one of the better things about Age of Sigmar is the new ground up factions. You know, the stuff mm-hmm. that is genuinely Age of Sigmar IP. It's not transitioned from Warhammer Fantasy Battle into Age of Sigmar, like Ideneth or Ko or some of those kind of things. Yeah, the stuff yeah. that is new and fresh Age of Sigmar things. Mm-hmm. They always seem to be more willing to go a little bit further with the rules and the models and all of that together, and it ends up creating really unique play experiences. I think that's one of the most awesome parts. Okay, coolio. So that came out. Do we? Well, have it a- got previewed. Previewed, right. right? It's not out, but it's it's out in in the open. It's in the public, I should say. Yes. And do we have any word on the Oric or the Stormcast battle tomes in terms of timing? August. It is August. Yeah, so sometime. it's. So it's August for those. We know that we're getting a Chaos Battle Tome in October. Oh. We don't know what that Chaos Battle Tome what is. What do you think? It's probably Nurgle. Like You think so? You don't think they're going to update Blades at all? The oldest Chaos factions are Nurgle, mm-hmm. which came out pre-2.0 but was written for 2.0. Yes. Beasts of Chaos, which was mm. you know written shortly after 2.0 came out. And boy, they need the help. Then Skaven, then Blades, mm. then Slaves of Darkness, and then, then Zinch, and then Slanesh. Okay. We recently got a Slanesh battle tome. Mm-hmm. So it's probably not that. We recently got a Zinch battle tome with, you know, at the start of 2019 or the mm-hmm. start of 2020. Probably not that. So it's going to be between Nurgle, Corn Or Beasts. Or Beasts. Okay. Could. Or Skaven, potentially. Could be. Okay. I think it's going to be Nurgle just because there are some modernity issues in that battle tome. Okay. That one and Beasts of Chaos are the ones that suffer the most from really well and truly not living in a modern age of the game. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll see then. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. As soon as we find out, you'll find out, listeners. Pre-orders for Sigmar. We got three tiers of starter boxes. Yes. So, you know, the typical... Just like what they did with, you know, post-Dominion, where right. you've got, like, the squad and the hero... The two squad box, right? The it's pretty much Dominion, but it's not totally Dominion box where it's missing, you yeah. know, like uh, <laughs> a key unit or something to it, right? And these are all pre-orders, by the way. These mm-hmm. are just went up yesterday, and they've got the new terrain in one of them at least. I yes, think, right. I saw a Realmscape or something came in it. Uh, we got that Night Quester model that's going to be pre-ordered. That's a new thing. That one and the Necron one yes. are made to order, limited release. Okay, because those are supposed to be like event okay. models, right. and obviously events. I hope that they do this at the end of every event season where. 
if you weren't able to go to them, you can get the made-to-order version of it, so you're not stuck with the scalper part of it. Sure. And if they don't want to continue the production of it, that's fine. I totally get it. I think if you position it in a way where everybody at some point gets a fair shake at it, cool. I'm good with that. Yeah. If they want to make it an event exclusive where you know people make it a priority to get to an event because of it, cool. cool. Great. I'm good with that. That is certainly not the case for a lot of people in this hobby, so make it accessible in that way. All right. And then we have the Penumbral Engine. It's a pretty interesting looking model. That one's there. And then a kind of a reissue of all the Endless Spells, both from Forbidden Powers and Mm -hmm. Malign Portents. Uh, But those are available or going to be available uh, for pre-order here. So if you're missing Endless Spells... That's your way to get them. Yeah, they're there. Or they're going to be there. The newest version of Kill Team has been a lot of previews. And the two things that I find the most interesting is no points... When you're building your squads, very interesting, really interesting, the mechanic, and then a lot more wounds, which I was kind of shocked about. But you also look at the weapons profiles, you can kind of see why. But just a general guardsman, I think a Krieg guardsman had like seven wounds. Hmm. And you're thinking about kill team, 90% of the models had one wound. You had some that had two, very few that had three. But now you've got standard ground pounders that have seven you're kind of wondering what that's going to look like across the game now really interesting and to go to no points i think you're daring the results it's a leap of faith is what it is in a lot of ways because that worked out real poorly mm-hmm. for age of sigmar obviously this is a show we've built around the right. you know talking about age of sigmar primarily yes but in a post points world because mm-hmm. in the pre-points world it was right. all nonsense and shenanigans. Yeah, like but it was. The nice thing about this, though, is I think there is structure. When you look at the cards and you look at, you know, this is for orcs. This mm. is your choice. You take one of these guys, you take a knob, and then you have this limited choice down here. You can do whatever you want, mix and match, but that's it. You know, you can take nine boys if you want, or you can take three boys and four of any of these specialist guys or something like that. So it's still very structured. Which is good. Yeah, it presumes basically on their end, they're pre-pointing all of the variations within some tolerancing there. Right. But... Yeah, interesting stuff. And we'll see. We'll find out. You know, I'll talk to, as soon as I see him next, I'll talk to Ben, who's really our our kill team guy, and see how he and his wife have reacted to this because she plays as well. So it'll be interesting, as always, when something changes so fundamentally in Mm -hmm. a game. And again, we're going to talk about it. We do mostly Sigmar here, but we do talk about the other stuff because it's all Warhammer. So we got some Ogre stuffs for Blood Bowl. It's kind of nice. Some uh, pitch and some other little things, which is cool. I think that's about it for new stuff. I, was there anything else that you had seen? I think I went through the list. I feel like for some reason I've been in like this pre-order fog where oh. once 3.0 came out, I was like, cool, I don't have to think about anything for a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. I know it's not going to be my stuff, but apparently sure. it has come up where, where it is Age of Sigmar. I'm just, I don't know, Dan. Sounds right to me. Okay. I, <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Non-Sigmar games played. Yeah. Well, I will toss in one Sigmar game, but we won't cover it. Into the lead-up of Circle City, I played our buddy Ty, Mm -hmm. uh, because he wanted to learn the rules of 3.0, and I was like, yeah, man, come over. Like, you know, even if we play just a couple of battle rounds and reset and and just do things, I was like, I need to get in the habit of just setting up my army and just saying my rules and doing all that. We found out that's really valuable. (laughs) Yeah, it's super valuable. (laughs) And... This is where I pitch, go back and listen to our previous episodes where we talk about, you know, how to prepare for tournaments and Mm -hmm. and those kinds of things, because these aren't just things that I 
I say, oh, you should do these things. These are things that I do in actuality and in reality, especially around edition change, especially around, you know, if I'm trying out new books, make sure you go in and and do those things because it definitely paid off as we get to the, you know, talking about the event. Mm-hmm. In terms of non-Sigmar games, yes. obviously for the most part was prepping for Circle City, so I wasn't yeah. playing much, but I finished out the Rusviet campaign and Iron Harvest last night. Were you happy with it? Yeah, I was... You really can't get into some of the details in the Rusvia campaign because there are some sizable storyline spoilers. The reveal at the end of the Rusviat campaign where you meet the one Saxony character Mm -hmm. that you're going to play in and then doing like the intro for his stuff. I was like, whoa, this guy. I was like, this guy. Like, I'm going to be so floored if they don't tell a great story with this character. Yeah. His intro, his background. It like, was really well done, don't you think? I just... Yeah. You almost didn't feel like you were playing a game. You felt like you were listening to a story to me. Yeah. You could have closed your eyes without the graphics and it would be like an audiobook. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. They they really spent a lot of time. Have you played the last mission of the Rusviet campaign nope. where you're trying... Okay. I have not played the last mission, no. Okay, so... Because I'm assuming I'm going to have to take as much time as I did with the last campaign... <laughs> In the Polinsky one, you know? Yeah, so the last two missions of the Rusviet campaign are super time-consuming, and yes. I thought the second-to-last one was the last one with how much time it That's took what, me. And it took a lot of time. And yeah, yeah. and you come up to the second one, and I was like... Another which is the, Which one? is the actual last one, and I was like... Yeah. And they do the intro for how it is that you're supposed to work through this map, and I was like, yeah. oh my god. Because I don't know how you necessarily treated the second to last one, but I ended up having to create like these beachheads around mm-hmm. the the river crossing. And then I had two really established ones. I figured if I push through on the one side and swing around, I'll be able to slowly just kind of, you know, march forward and then close the door on a swinging flank. Well, you kind of use the other one as an anchor. It's almost like a pivot. Well, I, to me, that's what I did. I, I used, used, a, I used the first two as the anvil, and they were going to mm-hmm. keep throwing it. And then the third one I used as the launch points to as the pivot to start closing the door and then working through, establish okay. those points, swing around and close. And then once I've closed the door on that, then push forward with everything else. Okay. And I was a little annoyed at how much effort I put into and then what the escape party actually was. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I could have just thrown Colonel Zubov at this. They weren't going to make it. Like, right. Yeah. It was so annoying, Dan. I yeah. was so disappointed that like, there wasn't yeah. going to be a bigger, you know, kind of like a payoff. It wasn't like, it was a lot slower than I thought too. I just, well, and two other friends, I know how this, I know the, narrative of how this one ends because i had two friends who were just like we know we don't want to spoil it for you but you have to go look at because they had it on you and i'm like okay so i went and i watched and like okay i gotta get there because i want to see how this happened like i'm super excited to go and spend some time in the saxony campaign yeah and i'm really excited to get to the dlc there's one that's like a four mission rusviet dlc and you know cool whatever that's going to be what it is i'm really looking forward to get to the to the usa campaign yeah. because it introduces like flying mechs and all yeah. this jazz and i was like cool okay stuff. this is going to be fun yeah it'll be fun so what about you dan so i probably also not much well and i did get up through i didn't get as far as you did in mm-hmm. the rusviet campaign but i also did just kind of relaxing beyond earth stuff you know i just showed you the tech tree for it and yeah it's just a good kind of wind down thing you know kind of no pressure or anything else and so uh, that was it really yeah mostly getting ready that's it okay okay yeah Yeah, fine all All right whatever events so we have randathon this coming weekend 
For those of you who are listening after we've recorded, which is literally everybody, that is going to be July 31st through August 1st. It kicks off on July 31st at 10 a.m. Central. That's a Saturday. And that's going to be on Meff's Twitch, which is Mr. Underscore Meff. That's his Twitter account. That's his Twitch. If you don't know, go to my Twitter page. Find it there. So this is a... 30 consecutive hour Twitch stream in which he's raising money for Mental Health America. Mm-hmm. We just got finished done locking in all the guests and all the prizes. The tiered incentives are going to be going live uh, sometime before the event kicks off. And there are some really bonkers prizes that are available to be given away. For the second year, we've donated the grand prize, which is a, a full army. Last year, we did an Osiarch Bone Reaper army, which was around 3,000 points. So you're a full tournament army plus some spares to goof around mm-hmm. with. This year, we've donated a full Soulblight Gravelords army. Yep. The just, podcast put it all in, yeah. Yep, just about you know 3,000 points, just kind of like last year. There's a base list you know that I've written for it. You can listen to what I have to say today and decide, you know, where in some of that competitiveness lies. There are definitely some things in there that are a little bit less than competitive. Just fun. Right. That are that are just fun choices because we wanted to theme it around things that I know Mef is really a big fan of in that book and and some things that we're, you know, fans of. And look, three thousand points is a great way to start if you want a different kit in there. Cool. You have all of the structure to build whatever it is that you're right. looking for. Yeah, and you for. have a lot of options in that list. You really do to build Two or three different lists easily. Yeah, yeah, a few. Very easily. Certainly. Yeah. So that there's a Dominion box in there. There's a Mega Gargant. You know, there's, there's a full painted Cursed City. I was getting to that Woo. one. Yeah. So it is painted by one of Mef's community members, Soren, W. Soren. And he is, if you aren't in his Discord, you don't follow really any of Mef's stuff. Soren is a a pro level painter. He doesn't paint professionally, but his work is all of that caliber. Mm-hmm. That at a minimum, like could be the grand prize in and of itself, but that is one of the block prizes. So the way it works is if you donate $5 during any of the two hour blocks, uh, the schedule is going to be up on, you know, Mef's Twitter and on his Tiltify page for this. Mm hmm. There's no shenanigans going on. It, it goes through a, a third party. So if you're on Twitch there, you can see it and you can put into it and all that. So Yep, okay. it'll, it'll all be linked there. None Perfect. of the money goes to MEF. It, it runs through Tiltify, which pays out specifically. So there's no extra changing of hands. You don't have to worry about your money ending up you know, somewhere that you weren't expecting it to. If you give $5 during any given block, at a minimum, you're entered to win the prize for that block. If you donate at least $50 over the course of the 30-hour weekend, you're entered to win the grand prize. Everything is one entry per person. There's no pay-to-win scheme here. Mm -hmm. As long as you donate $5 during that block and $50 over the course of the weekend, you're good to go. If there's only one prize you're interested in and you're also interested in the grand prize, you're totally allowed to spend $50 in that that one block. Mm -hmm. It gets you your one entry to that block, and it also gets you your entry to The the, the grand prize. Okay. Perfect. All of that's fair game. There's 15 blocks. If So if you only want to spend $5 per, that's 10 blocks. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is a lot of prizes. Yeah, and a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to have to come back often. Yeah. <laughs> Set your alarm for each one. Cause I mean, that's something I did last year where there was a prize block that was kicking off at like 2 a.m. Uh-huh. And I really wanted to have a shot at that prize block. I set an alarm for 2 a.m., 
I got up, I went over to my computer, I, you know, put in the $5, I pressed, you know, send, and then I walked back over to my bed and went to sleep. Now, I didn't win it, but yeah, yeah, if there's stuff you're interested in, set your alarms. Sure, that's what they're there for. So perfect. Uh, that's coming up. It's for a good cause. Dan, you're going to be on on one of the blocks mm-hmm. for the uh, veterans of Warhammer, not people who've been playing Warhammer a long time, but an actual uh, but, vets. Yeah, people who have <laughs> served in the armed forces and then also are Warhammer players. There's a relatively large community of mm-hmm. Warhammer players who fit that role. So that's great. You know, there will be Meth will be talking to a couple of people. I personally won't be on any of the individual blocks, but I'll be around. Uh, we'll, how <laughs> sure. about we'll put it that way? Yeah. I will definitely be around. You'll definitely see me in, in other spots. I'm working as a support function for it. It was a big deal last year. You know, his goal was $1,000 last year. He blew it out of the water at seven. So we set the bar at, you know, we're looking to do 5000 this year. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if if we can beat that, then... That would be wonderful. You know, then that would be great. That'd be great. So, so hopefully you can listen in, enjoy, because it will be fun make that contribution to a worthwhile cause. Yeah. Tune in for as little or as much as you'd like. Any little bit helps. Yeah. It's a cause that's important to MEF and it's a cause that's important to us. So we're always always happy to help. So the next thing was we got messages from Mark that Ramcon 2 is in two weeks. Unfortunately, neither one of us can attend, Mm -hmm. but at least to mention that it's happening. Last year was... One, One of, of the few events that we got we, to do. He had about a dozen people inside and outside his garage. He had a, a tent set up, and it was just great to be with people and rolling dice. We played three games, I think, that day. So he's going to do that again this year, which is great. It was wonderful to hear from him, and unfortunately, we can't make it this year. NashCon is just a month away, Brendan. Coming up, buddy. It is. They've had a couple of last-minute spots open up from people dropping, so if you're mm-hmm. interested in going, go check it out. I think that there's still a few. Mm-hmm. Uh, if not, get on the wait list, because I can tell you from experience running events, the closer you get to the event, the more people drop. Life comes up for some folks. Some people forget that they scheduled you know, things months and months and months ago, or significant others said, hey, you know, we need to do this this weekend. Sure. Such is life. So that's about a month away, and then about six weeks away, six or seven weeks away. Oh, gosh. We have Bruce City's coming up. Bruce your, City 3. Your thing. One. So that's great to hear. Yeah, so I was working with Natasha, one of our locals, mm-hmm. on getting the artwork done up. Hopefully we'll have that done soon. We'll put that out for order. There is a wait list. It's about 14 people long. If you'd like to go, please let me know. Please get in contact with me. We'll get you on there. So that's going to be a 50-person event, 3,000 points a player. I know there's some folks who are really super looking forward to this, and I'm really happy to be able yeah. to put it on again this year. Yeah, we're It's been a little bit, and, and... the people traveling from pretty far to go to this, which is really cool. Always. Yeah, they have over a few years, you know. I don't think we have any too crazy far travelers. I think Far yeah. Corners of Missouri, I think, is going to be our, our furthest traveler this year. Yep. But yeah, I'm hoping to see people again that I haven't seen for a while and to meet a a few new people that I know are showing up that I've talked to or I know, but I've never met in person. So that'll be exciting for me. That's it then for events and everything else. Yeah. Dragonfall continued opening up spaces and then it's sold out. It's Mm -hmm. capped at 50. If you want a space, get on the wait list and they'll notify you if, you know, someone dropped. Uh, It's a very unusual waitlisting structure where there's not like actually a line. It's just an email list. And it's first come, first serve, so be quick to the draw. (laughs) Then let us move on to the main topic, which is Sigmar 3.0 on the road. We will be back. What are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're we're a time bomb. Okay, Brendan. Yes, Dan. It's time to talk a little Circle City Clash here, my friend. Sure. 
most of us got there Friday. I think almost everybody yeah, got there Friday. A lot of Friday. us did. A lot of people. And we went out to dinner, you and Nick and I, just mm-hmm. to relax and found a nice place and had some decent food. Talked a little business in terms of game. Yeah. So and, so that restaurant we went to, yeah. <laughs> uh, is a restaurant called The Library. Yeah. And it was nice. It was very nice. You know, we gave it to Nick to just kind of like, hey, you know, pick out something. He's like, you know, this place called... This place called the library. It's like a steak and potatoes place. And I was like, yeah, cool. That sounds good. And you go in and it, it's like a library. It's like a library. It's like an art gallery. Like it's, you know, we all kind of looked at each other like, what on earth did we just sign up for? <laughs> we did. It was great. It was so and good. The food was really, was really good. The service was great. And it was just, it was kind of a step up from what we did the rest of the weekend. And which was nice. It was a great culinary break from what else we did. Are you besmirching the <laughs> no, no, quality hold, of a Waffle House? Hold, hold on. Now, we'll talk about that when we talk about the beginning of day one and two. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a really great dinner, and, and then we got some rest. And day one begins with a trip the three of us took to Awful Waffle. We went to Waffle House, which was really good. I had not been there in an age, and it was so cool to just sit at the counter and get some food. <laughs> I love me Waffle House. It's just great. The I can't remember if it was you or Nick that was like, how do you know that this is the northernmost Waffle House yeah, in yeah, America? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's because Dave Nordstrom, our one of our other club mates, and I have an affinity for Waffle House. Yes. And... <laughs> This comes up a shocking amount of times as we either drive through Indy or, you know, we're, or we're going to Nashcon or something or, you know, we're, we're headed southwards-ish. Yeah, yeah. We're like, I wonder if there's a Waffle House nearby. <laughs> and it always ends in me picking up my phone and, you know, just going to maps and Googling Waffle House. Uh, and we go, no, the nearest one's Indianapolis. And we go, darn it. <laughs> But it turned out this time that the event was in Indianapolis. And it was like three blocks away <laughs> it was from, the, really from the northernmost Waffle House in the United States, which is very good because I can get to oh, yeah. the Waffle House. It took two minutes to get there from the hotel. It was yeah, great. It was nothing. Perfect. So we had a nice breakfast. Yeah. It's important to always start your day strong like that. Always, <laughs> always get yourself some good breakfast. We got in and we were in a large meeting room, but we were sharing the room with a relatively large 40K event. Mm-hmm. We had 12 tables yeah. in the back of the room. They were probably like 30-ish. About that. Yep. They had a pretty good size group and they had a big desk out in front and stuff for their stuff. But it was nice room. I mean, there was plenty of room to stage and do those other things that we needed to do. The Age of Sigmar guys did it right. Moving through the 40K side of the hall, just trying to get out of the room sometimes was... Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a zoo. There was they no room to give. In. They were packed in. It was Mike did a good job setting the tables up, giving everyone enough space. And let's give some credit for those uh, frames that went on the tables. Those were really clever. They were made out of MDF. Mm-hmm. Somebody had literally cut these frames. It looked like jigsaw puzzle pieces almost. But the nice thing was that they were about six inches thick, you know, or wide. But on the inside, the inside dimensions were the new table size. Yep. And that was really great that he took those mats and made them into something we could use for the new game yeah so these are excellent this was made by one of the indianapolis locals dominic dominic Mm -hmm. reitman and he's going to be opening a online store to sell them when i have that i'll give it to dan to put into the show notes for whenever absolutely whenever the store comes out for in that show basically everybody who had a table at home went up to dominic at some point during the weekend like okay yeah this is really cool how much you want for him Mm mm-hmm 
He's like, well, you know, these are prototypes. They're like, that's fine. I'll buy these as they are. <laughs> like, what do you want for them? They were so good. And they had other stuff on them. They had monster abilities and heroic stuff. They had that as a reminder. They also had some of the actions. And they had a turn sequence all burned into the into the MDF. So He had slots for your War Scroll cards. Yes. I didn't know what those were at first. I'm like, oh, that's what they are. And that was so cool, too. It, it, just a really neat, neat idea. Incredible product. Yep. He is going to sell a ton of these. He is. Yep. You know, as much as a ton of these can be for, you know, for Warhammer. But right. such an excellent product. And I'm happy that we can be part of getting those out there to people and, and helping him uh, yeah, sell I, his product. I bought one, set it up on my table. I'm super excited. And as I soon as wait. we just said, Brendan, you know, you talked about as soon as we know, you will know listeners and you can get your hands on these if you want them. That was a real nice start. And I guess we started, what, at 930, I think was the first yep. dice down mm-hmm. for game one. And is there anything else beforehand that we want to talk about? I mean, we saw people from all over. It was just nice to see some of these folks that we haven't seen in, mm-hmm. you know, a year and a half or more. Yeah, the, it was great. It's weird to think that some of these people you really only interact with because of, mm-hmm. you know, the hobby and specifically tournament settings and like, Oh yeah, I haven't seen you in a while. Like (laughs) I used to see you like every couple of weeks. It's true. It's been a minute. How are you? Yeah, for sure. That's good. But then in terms of the overall field, there was a larger mix of armies. The Detroit club came down and brought only sons of Bayamit list. So the five of them of the 24 of us. So that was giants. There were two Sylvaneth players. There was two Deepkin players. There's a fire slayer player. There was a Skaven player. There's a night haunt player. There was, was two Soulblight players, Gitz player, two Nurgle lists, two Seraphon lists. Daughters. There's a Daughters army. It was a nice mix. Yeah. It was great to see that people brought such a wide variety, other than our buddies at Detroit. Yeah, most people brought things that were independent and unique of each other. Yes. Okay. (laughs) That's all we're going to say about that. A lot of giants. A lot of giants. And we all played them (laughs) at one point or another. Mm -hmm. Now, did you play them two or three times? I played giants twice. Okay. Okay. So, shall we start with game one? Sure. Do you want to talk about your no, game one? Or I do you want you to talk about yours, because mine is, quote, more interesting. It certainly is. It's certainly a game I've never seen before. <laughs> so, game one, Nick True, one of the Indianapolis locals, and I grudged. You know, it's been a couple of years since him and I have played, you know, and it's been a while since... Other than no Depticon, you know, that we see each other. So I was like, hey, man, you know, let's play a game. And so he was playing uh, Nurgle with the Municipant Wanderers, who reduces your rend by one as just kind of the base of it. And the art, or it's the command trait that demon units wholly within 12 inches of the general sixes to hit those units are mortal wounds back to you. Mm-hmm. So he's got 70 plague bearers, two 20s <laughs> and a 30. Ouch. A great unclean one, the Glotkin. And then the Spoilpox Scrivener and Sloppity Bile Piper. Did he have any? I thought he had a few flies. Didn't he have a couple of flies? No, that was the other nerd. Okay, because I remember I seeing also flies on the, yeah. on the board. Okay. And he also had shackles. Mm-hmm. And we were playing Tectonic Interference, which is basically old shifting objectives. Mm-hmm. All of them are prime, so you can't remove any of them. And it's just. This is where knowing your opponent really comes in handy. Mm-hmm. I know Nick. I have helped Nick a lot, you know, improve his play at the game, talk through a lot of different concepts, things like that. So I knew what he wanted to do with that list without him ever telling me was he was going to deploy with the 30 brick in the center. He was going to use the Glotkin's ability to add plus one wound to them, not two wound, plus one wounds. They're two wound plague bearers. 
that 30 brick was going to be 60 wounds worth, and he was just going to charge them up to the nines and have that be what he was going to try and win the game with. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, cool. I put my 10 unit of skeletons across from that, knowing that he was going to, like, the flanks were just going to kind of exist. I threw my strong items to my left and my right. So on my left, I had the Bengorian Lord, Manfred, and I was going to bring in 40 zombies through the gravesite. And on my right, I had my 30 skeletons, my graveguard, and the rest of my my hero consortium, which was right. a Belladama, a vampire lord on foot, and a necromancer. Pretty okay. Because what we were going to do with that is, you know, Belladama has under the killing moon, which wholly within 12 inches, sixes to hit are two hits. I was hoping to be far enough away from the great unclean one bubble to pull his left apart, swing that door closed, and then on the left have the Vangorian Lord and Manfred do mm. enough damage, you know, between the two of them to pull off the 20. And if I couldn't have try and get these zombies in to try and scale them up, close that door, and then squish the middle, yeah. squish, 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 yeah. squish. Yeah. That's fine because then I control two of the objectives. I start threatening the third and I have the ability to... Oh, and he had five Blight Kings in the list. That's what I was going to okay. say. In doing so, I can get models back. I can get units back in a reliable way. He's not going to be able to. Other so, than he could summon. Yeah. It's not but, as reliable as yours. Not yeah. You're not looking at the same kind of rate that I can maintain. Right. And we ended up calling the game after uh, Battle Round 3. Okay. Because I had played to that plan effectively. But at one point, he had gotten his unit of Plague Bears up to plus four attacks to be total of five. Jeez. He ripped through my unit of zombies. And thankfully, Manfred and the Vangorian Lord, you know, did a little bit of holding their own and, and doing some damage against the 30 block because they did the work they needed to against the 20. Gross. And Blades of Putrefaction... Blades of Putrefaction are a six plus... So when you give them all out attack, they trigger mortal wounds on five pluses. Mm. So at five attack plague bearers who are triggering Mortals. mortal wounds on fives and sixes. Oh, God, that's ugly. The output on that was nuts. Just, just heinous. Mm-hmm. But it had gotten to the point where I had reduced enough of the units down to a place where if we play out four and five from a model perspective, there was just going to be no way to out attrition me and and score that so good uh, we shook hands there it was a really good game one of the things that was you know worth noting was him and i played a grudge at midwest meltdown in 2018 so about three years ago Mm -hmm. because he came to me and said hey he's like i want to learn to play this game better and him and i really hadn't known each other for very long and i was like yeah man i'll i'll play and i'll explain you know what my army does and all that kind of stuff the difference in the quality of player between that Nick True that I played Mm -hmm. in 2018 and this Nick True that I played in 2021 was just absolutely night and day. That's so cool. But this is what happens when you put time in and you practice Mm -hmm. games and you approach the game from a, you know, a curious perspective, Mm -hmm. much better opponent. And, you know, we'll get to the results at the end, but he pretty happy with what he finished at. Great. That was my game one. And when I finished game one and I turned in my sheet, I came around to your table. Yes. Where you were playing your grudge match against Nick McKenna, you know, who is one of many, one of our friends here. And... I'm always just kind of interested in how your grudges go. And so you came up to the table, and we're in round. We're starting round four, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about the game in a second. But this is the best part. You kind of looked at us, and you go, "What are you doing?" And if you just listened to that from the outside, it was, and we reacted like we're starting turn four. But what Brendan, what you really asked was, 
what the hell are you doing playing the wrong battle plan? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was, and Nick and I are both going, what? Because at the beginning, we kind of were both getting set up, and I said, Nick, call it out. And what's our thing so I can set it up? And he called out the battle plan. So I got it all set up at a measuring tool, and so proud. And it was going down fast. We were getting getting started. And then we realized it was the wrong battle plan. We were playing the one that should have been for round five in round one. So what happened essentially was you tried to arbitrate, basically, as you always do. You're like, let's talk this through, guys. What should, how would this game end if Mm -hmm. we played it through? I think he was just so upset that he, you know, that that had been done. He was like, you take the win, Dan. Just take it. You, you have the win. And I'm like, I am not doing that. My reaction was, I can't take a win. I'll take a draw, maybe, but I'm not taking a win. And he was just so insistent, and he was so upset at himself, I think, that eventually what we settled on, because we kept going back and forth, was I took a minor win. He was okay with that. And so then we moved on from game one. So I've been playing in tournaments for a period of time. You know, and I... <laughs> oh, God. And I, I run some tournaments myself. Yes. I have never seen a full game played to the wrong battle plan. (laughs) Ever. In a tournament setting. Now you have. Now I have. (laughs) And I think the way that you two handled it was just, was admirable. And it helps that you two knew each other. That made a big difference, yeah. I could imagine that situation going a lot more poorly if that was just some other person. Yeah. For sure. So I think the takeaway, the learning experience here is be adults about it and discuss it. Work it out. Right? And this is normally where you would get a judge involved. I wasn't judging at the event, but... We worked it out. Right. And that was fine in the end. So Nick was... I've never seen that before. (laughs) He made some pretty significant changes to his gets list from what I had seen before. The biggest and most prominent, of course, was that he took Kragnos. He got rid of his spider, his giant spider. He got rid of his six trolls. Uh, He took smaller units of gets. He took a 40 and I think two 20s. Again, my recollections aren't as sharp as yours, Brendan. So if I'm misstating something, Mm -hmm. um, my opponents, I apologize to all of you. It was very different that way. And he took a mangler, you know, mangler squig with a guy on it for his general and very different. And based on what we were playing, we were playing the one where you had six and you started taking them off. If you wanted to each turn, you could take one off. So for my own list, I had both my coaches. I took my 10 hex race. I took 40 zombies and a vampire lord for allies. I had a unit of 10 Grimgas Reapers. I had a unit of 20 chain rafts and a unit of 10 chain rafts. I also had my Dreadblade Harrow. My usual, he was my general, of course, for moving things around. I had a Cruciator this time, which was really cool. Very different in terms of what I was playing. I tried some new units. My maneuverability was what was keeping me in the game because he had put Kragnos and the Mangler on one side. What was interesting, I'd also taken Shackles. Mm-hmm. And I was shocked at how effective they were. Shackles are really good. At scaring people off. It's not that people didn't, you know, like... Literally, they walked away. And I'm going to talk about my game three where an opponent literally walked away from the shackles because they didn't want to have to deal with it. Same thing. He had Kragnos and the Mangler right in front of him. And he was like, no, we're going somewhere else. We're going to do... And my zombies were just like, okay. And my Vampire Lord was okay. And that's a really good pairing because the zombies don't need to be able to charge in order to get their interaction going. No, And if you can start them outside of six, you can get them to 
run. They mm-hmm. can do their run, move and run, and then they're not charging, so it doesn't affect them. Sure. Typically. And it was interesting because, you know, a couple of weeks before we had talked about zombies and what they do and what they don't do. I kind of had an idea of what that area of effect was, what that range was that I needed to get them into to make sure they could get in contact. I was very... You're very aware cognizant of that. Of that. Yeah. And so I was measuring all the time to make sure that I would get within whatever that distance ended up being, which was really helpful. And you didn't let any of those sneaky players redeploy <laughs> out of your pylon range, huh? No, I did not. <laughs> it went back and forth. It was very close. And in the end, what we talked about happened. I dropped my Crusader with my 20 chain rasts in there. Every game that I did that, he took his shots and I got one shot off and I did one wound to somebody. The thing is, almost every one of those was my reroll dice because one of the things that Mike gave everybody was a dice. You could take one reroll a game, you know, and I was always taking one of those rerolls to get a wound or get a hit. And it gave those guys a five up, five up save was really helpful at keeping those guys alive really really helpful so the Crusader is somebody who's going to be on my list really effective well good so that worked out well Kragnos was just menacing I mean I had to use every trick I could think of in terms of running people, moving people. The other thing I did was deployment-wise, we talked about this before too, was I set my coaches and my hex rays up in the center. And in my Because they're your fastest element. Yeah, and in my last game, that worked really well. I mean, it worked well in all my games because people didn't know what I was going to do with them. And to your point that you had made, we had talked before about strategy of deploying it didn't tell them anything because all those units could have ended up anywhere on the board literally so putting them where i did it didn't tell them where i was going to deploy or what i was going to deploy which was really really interesting and Mm -hmm. it worked pretty well that was my game one so i got a minor which was great. Uh, it's something. It's better than a minor loss sure. or a major loss. <laughs> yeah, the, and certainly one of the stranger results yeah. I've seen. Yes. Crazy. You, you did get the minor. I think if you had guys had been playing the mission that you had been playing, mm. I think Nick was going to oh, win yeah. that game. I think so. I well, it's a good thing you didn't play him game five then. Yes. How about that? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Although we joked during the games two through four that at least we'd be ready for game five because Ruder, you played the battle plan. <laughs> Let's talk about game two, buddy. Game two was the vice. This is the mission where your objectives start in the corners of the board. Shrinking objectives. And then (laughs) over the course of the game, they move closer to each other and then eventually end up as a singular point in the middle of the board. They merge, yep. So I was playing Christian Ware's Thunder Lizard Stegadon list. (laughs) That's a fun list. Super fun list, which, you know, consisted of a Carnosaur Lord, a Skink Starseer, 10 Skinks, two Stegadons, a Engine of the Gods, a Laser Turtle and a, oh no, I think it's three Stegodons, a laser turtle and a snake turtle. Mm -hmm. And so what Thunder Lizards do is they let you either use the engine a second time in the shooting phase or you get to shoot one of the laser turtles again for a command point, which is pretty good. Being coalesced is they reduce all of your damage by one to a minimum of one, which is pretty good. Thankfully, most of my stuff is damage one. It really hurts the Graveguard, and it really hurts Manfred, but past that, I'm relatively unaffected. The game seemed like that went on for a long time. I mean, when I kept watching, it was like, ooh, he's still playing. It was really hot, and that was definitely screwing around with my ability to process what was going on. And <laughs> Hot in the room, you mean? Yeah, yeah the, physically the room very really warm. warm. And like that table specifically was in a weird spot because once I moved to the next table in the next game, like, way better. And <laughs> so this funny. was the second game in a row I was on table three, like, in the exact same spot. Sure. So I was, I was really cooking. You know, he's playing just a bunch of Stegadon. So his goal is to move up 
and hit my line on the charge and win that way. So what I did was I had set up far enough back where he wasn't going to be able to, you know, just move up and charge me early and set it up in such a way where even if he maintained priority into that next turn, moving up and getting into into my line was going to be a not super exciting premise. So what I did was he shot Manfred. I healed Manfred. I said, cool. And I sent Manfred into the battle line to, you know, do some damage and wreak havoc. And I nailed a long charge with my zombies that I'd brought up from the grave on my left side with the Vangorian Lord following behind them. Because you'll notice a theme here is I did a lot of pairing of Manfred and the Vangorian Lord because together they are unstoppable (laughs) because the Vangorian Lord hands out a reduce your rend by one to enemy units within three inches, Mm -hmm. which means that if you're attacking him or Manfred and I'm in the same spot, Manfred benefits from that same ability. Mm hmm. And the Vangorian Lord would then benefit from the plus one to hit, plus one to wound bubble that Manfred hands out, which makes the Vangorian Lord twos by twos on his main profile. And he can really hit hard. So giving the Sangsuren to the Vangorian Lord makes his base profile his sword, which is the one that you give it to. Right. Four attacks plus D3 off the charge, hanging out near Manfred, twos by twos. Ren minus one, and I give him flaming weapons, which only casts on a four. And because he's a Virkos vampire, re-rolls the casting attempt, sure. which ups the damage to three. So four plus D3, twos by twos, Ren one damage, three attacks are pretty good. And if you can pair that in the right spot with Belladama's Under the Killing Moon, mm. which oh, God. sixes to hit are multiple hits yep. across the whole profile. Cool. In this game, I didn't use that because I didn't think that, there, that that was going to be necessary. But adding the plus one damage to that profile is really important in this Thunder Lizards game because mm. if it's just a damage two weapon, it becomes damage one. But if it's damage three, it bumps back to damage two. And Stegodons are only, quote-unquote, only, like, 10 wounds on, like, a 4-up save or something like that. Mm -hmm. Very manageable. Sure. In that combat, I throw in Manfred and some zombies to with the purpose of just kind of tar-pitting. He wins priority into two. I have this huge wall of zombies and Manfred just kind of choking up the middle and the right side of his board. And the left side of his board is just going to be too far away to get into my graveguard and my skeletons that are holding a line there. And he goes, all right, my battle tactic is to bring it down Manfred. And he's got a lot of shooting. Mm-hmm. Every Stegadon has three bow shots that are like threes by threes, rend one, damage three. Oof. Gross. Mm-hmm. Brutal. Thankfully, Manfred had Mystic Shield on him, which brings him to a two-up. Yep. And in the shooting phase, I all-out defensed him, which brought him to a one-up. Mm-hmm. He shoots everything into Manfred and then shoots the Laser Turtle a second time. He does like a total, a total... Of like, a wound to Manfred. I heard you guys something. One of you guys said something like, yeah, bring it. Bring it. Manfred says bring it. You know, you're just taunting him like that. And that was what must have happened. It was hilarious. And so Manfred, for now, for two consecutive battle rounds, has taken every shot that's available on the table and is sitting on like six wounds taken total because he heroic action healed in my turn at the bottom of one and then in his turn at the top of two. 
cool, awesome, fantastic. So then he charges in, you know, with the Carnosaur and, and some other models and stuff like that. And I go, all right, anything at the start of the combat phase in your turn? He goes, nah, I'm good. I said, okay, well, at the start of the combat phase, I'm within three inches of an enemy model, an enemy unit. Manfred's going to leave now. Oh, and great. I set him up next to the Vangorian Lord because in the bottom of two, I'm going to swing both of them in you know, like a freight train. And he looks at me and he goes, forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, that's a... Uh, that's a thing. Yeah, because like I, you know, I understand his making it bring it down because under every circumstance, I absolutely sure should have been shot off the table. But his laser turtle was just rolling twos, just mm-hmm. all over the place. Like it was some really bad dice rolls. Now, and we're going to talk about this later. But the whole point then is he didn't get his battle tray, his battle tactic. Did not get that battle and tactic. That we found in most of our games and over the whole weekend pretty missing important. a battle tactic at some point can make a huge difference in the result of the game. Absolutely. Yeah, so that when that happens you're like, "Oh my god, that could be game." So then from there, Manfred and the Vangorian Lord swing around his right flank and my um Graveguard swing around his left and we start, you know, chopping stuff up. Maintains priority into three and sends his Carnosaur into my 30 brick of skeletons. Oh. And he catches me just on the edge of the unit. He's feeling good because there's not going to be a lot of models to swing back at him. But I have Van Hal's Dance on him. Of course. So every time I choose to go and activate with them, I can roll some dice and bring some guys back. Right. So he killed a bunch of them and I was pulling them from the side where the combat wasn't. Okay. So I go to pile in, and he killed like 21 of them. He killed a ton of them. And you had a brick of 30. Yeah, I had a a brick of 30. And I roll back a bunch of them, and I almost kill it. Then I go to make my next pile, and he's like, don't have to roll the dice to kill it. He goes, just roll the dice to see which guys you get back. He goes, we're we're good here. (laughs) And he's just like, I was feeling so good, he goes, because there wasn't any models. He's like, and then I remember that game that you and I had played right when Soul Blight came out. He goes, were you brought back? a ton of skeletons. I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. And then I free command point them because that's the command trait I take Mm -hmm. on. My general is pack alpha, which once per turn, so twice per battle round, you know, where it's broken up that way. You can use a command ability for free. And that's just your general? That's just my general. right. So my general then is effectively worth, and this is where when you start doing command point math, he's worth one in each hero phase and then he's worth one in each player turn. So my general is worth two command points every player turn so when i'm going second i know i'm playing with six command points Mm -hmm. where if i'm going first i know i'm playing with five Mm -hmm. but six is a lot more than what most people think about which is Mm -hmm. four yeah right this is just how math works we close the door and we finished the game. We played through all five battle rounds. And because okay. the way it was, the, the pairing system was, was winners played winners. And then victory points were the tiebreaker to see, you know, what table you were on. And mm-hmm. we had the time. So we wanted to just see where everybody landed with it. Sure. And yeah, so that was two major victories in a row, ton of victory points across both games. And at that point, I'm looking to, you know, bump up to table one or table two and finish day one in a pretty strong place ideally perfect and so my game two was against our friend alex malonis from the pants mafia down in chicago yeah and it was a rematch because at the last four game event i believe it was i played his daughters you're kind of prepping us for a regular season event mm-hmm. and he changed his list a little bit instead of taking 
10 shooty snakes and 10 punchy snakes. He took 15 shooty snakes. Gross. It was gross. And instead of taking, I believe it was 20 Sisters of Slaughter, he took 30 witch elves. Okay, those were the two major changes to Mm -hmm. his list. Obviously, I've talked about my list already. I kind of started out deploying, just like I had told you, where I put the coaches in the center, the hex rays in the center, and then I put my Dreadblade with them, of course. And the other thing that that, because then they could all get that plus three move. The other thing was I could always get that one battle tactic if I wanted to use it because they were all three close. If I didn't want to make an aggressive move, I could just move them up a little bit, not into the point where they could be threatened, and I could get my battle tactic that turn. So it was kind of an alternate. I put, again, my Crusader and my Reapers and my 20 Chain Rafts off the board. On the other side, it was on my right side, I have my 40 Zombies and my Vampire Lord, and then I had 20 Chain Rafts in front of my Zombies kind of screen kind of a thing. It was interesting that I used my speed because he kind of moved up on his right side up towards the objectives. So I swung over, even though it was towards Marathi. What I was trying to do is I had to do something about those freaking shooty snakes. I had to. Because that was 30 shots. Mortals coming off of sixes. It was just brutal. Well, and and you've seen me eviscerate your night haunt list with just shooting snakes in Marathi. And I had to do something. mm -hmm. So I swung my coaches over to that side. So they both have run and charge because I had rolled for them and they were at the level where they had run and charge. Nice. So I got the one coach up really close and I rolled boxcars. Oh my gosh, it was great. I killed five snakes with my charge. With the wave of terror. Yeah, which was great. Now, that was another thing to talk about real quick was... Please please tell me you didn't forget. No, 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 not at all. But when I played Nick, I must have done five or six charges, you know, and none of... I did not get a single wave of terror off on Nick. So I'm talking to Alex before the game like, man, I'm just not doing it with wave of terror today. I must have got four or five off on him. Oh, I'm sure he was thrilled. (laughs) And he's like, don't say it again. Don't, don't. So yeah, I got that one, and it was really important to take out a third of those guys. It was big, but of course, I made a mistake later on. Oh, um, and you'll you'll find out about that. So I kind of kept my zombies kind of towards the right center because I knew where that one objective was going to end up in the middle, mm. and I kept my Knight of Shrouds back because I knew he could move really fast to jump on that objective when it moved that one corner objective. The other thing I did was I dropped my Crusader and my Chainrasts and Reapers in the back to come in on his backside to kind of wedge him in between the coaches and and those things. I got a really good charge off on the back end of his witches. So he ended up, the way I had worked it, he had to literally, because they were flat against, you know, straight across the board. He ended up pulling one end back, way into the back end of the board to meet Mike Chainrass. I brought my other ones forward and he had to move those guys forward. So he had this huge line strung out of trying to deal with them from both ends. Mm. They were trying to close them. So that that worked out really well. It actually tied them up really well, and I was kind of picking them off a little bit at a time. Obviously, they're doing more damage to me, but... Right, well, know. he's not throwing many dice back at you. No, There's... and I'm bringing stuff back, too. Sure. You know? And my Cruciator put the five up on me. My mistake Uh-oh. was I got Wave of Terror off on my chain on my reapers and so he had that unit of five witches there or five medusas there the punchy ones and i'm like okay they're done i'm gonna kill them 
I am going to kill him. Well, I looked, and I looked at one of his models in his shooty snakes. It, in my eyes, I saw Marathi was the closest model. It was within nine. And I'm like, that's little Marathi. I'm cool. And I so what if she shoots me? I don't care. On Unleashed, well, it was a snake. So he got the Unleash Hell. Oh. oh my gosh. Just wiped out my Reapers. And I'm like, oh, that was just a dumbass thing. You killed like seven out of ten or something. Oh, brutal. It was, and it, you know, there you go, Dan. Rough. Lesson learned. And it went back and forth at... The thing I was talking about with my chain rasps, and I got my hex rays over to there, engage with his daughters, and that's where I was talking about my hex rays. Even though I got the charge off, they just didn't do a lot. Mm. And they just weren't, and it's not like I was rolling bad. They weren't doing what I expected them to do in terms of impact, of pulling models off. And But those 30 witches were just done. They were engaged. They weren't going to do anything else for him. They weren't going to get involved when that thing moved to the middle. And really, the only pieces he had that could do anything for the middle was Marathi and those 10 left uh, shooty snakes that he had were really what... And little Marathi was coming after my chain rasp, my cruciator. I'm like, fine. You know, she's got, what, the minus two to hit, but it can only be minus one now. Yep. So she wasn't impossible to at least put wounds on. I think I think I put five or six wounds on Marathi, which was cool. It's something anyway. Sure. And then as the game was ending and the objective moved to the center, I started moving my 40 zombies over towards it. And I knew that when I got them, and I would get them close enough, he couldn't, even Marathi couldn't knock me down to 10 models, you know, below 10 models. I had still had my vampire lord. I ended up winning a minor. Nice. Because I got that center one just threatened. And we kind of called the game, I think, after three. So then you tied on points and you had completed more battle tactics. That is correct. Yep. And one of the things that I, you talked about, you know, table etiquette and stuff. And one of the things that you always do is you always remind your, or you always try to remind your opponent the first time. Yep. But after that, it's on them. Right. And I really decided after that game with Alex that, and it, the first game, Nick and I, we had to remind each other. I reminded Alex the first time. But then after that, I just decided, you know what? I'm not going to remind people because it's so important. It's not like, oh, yeah, go ahead and move that unit. It's okay. I get it. Or, you know, re-roll that because it was, I mean, it. it it's a game making, you know, game making decision kind of a thing when you do that. But I think the first time I'm always going to remind somebody, or, did you do your battle tactic? You know, just to do that. But after that, it's kind of on them. And if they forget, they forget. And if I forget, I forget. And I'm not going to expect to get a pass. Yeah, especially as you get later into the event and later into an edition. Those are things that should be fundamental. And one of the things I know I do is especially with my soul bite there's a lot of things that occur at the start of the hero phase is mm-hmm. you know come over to my turn and i will say out loud all right start of the hero phase things in my brain that locks in the couple of things that i know i have to do i know i have to do my healing of units i know i have to test to see if my vangorian lord goes feral and i got to set up my battle tactic and before i go all right regular hero phase bit i got to make sure that i have done those other things so but so i got a minor win again which was cool. And uh, I was 2-0, and oh, which it's always a good feeling for me. Sure. <laughs> it's always a great feeling, even if I finish the day 2-1. and one, And I've done that a few times. But uh, it was good. And it was just great playing Alex. He's just such a great player and a great guy to hang out with at the table. I think we both, you know, there's really good banter going back and forth, good questions and good communications. And it was just a pleasant game. So that was great. Neat. Round three. So round three was played using the marking territory battle plan. Mm-hmm. This is the one where you can only win a major if you control all of the objectives at the end of the game. So it's either three or four of them, depending on if any get pulled from Gur. None of them are primed. It's an interesting layer of it. Then miners are decided on if 
players have completed their battle tactics or not and then if battle tactics are equal then it's did somebody complete their grand strategy or not and if they have completed both of those together uh, then it's a straight draw yep i make it up to table one where my opponent is jake from the detroit boys <laughs> yep so i'm playing my first giants list of the weekend and so his was taker tribe with one of each megas and three minis i so we had three big and three little yep one of each of the bigs Okay. And then three individual littles. Okay. He has me go first, which is absolutely the right decision. I send Manfred out as a heat-seeking missile to go try and and bust up a man crusher. Because my goal here then is to pull out all the little guys and then try and pick off the big guys. And that would be my only way at a major. As my backup for how do I win this as a minor step was to split my army kind of in half and just play delay, delay, delay until an objective goes and then castle. I'm selling out really hard in that my left side is going to be my castle and hoping that it works out for me. Mm-hmm. I have the speed and flexibility to go cover the right, but it's going to be a lot more difficult in the long term. Or he's going to pull one of his objectives, but I don't think he was ever going to do that. But in any case, so Manfred goes out and he whiffs super hard on the first man crusher. And thankfully the man crusher whiffs back. <laughs> okay. And so bottom of one, you know, he goes, all right, finest hour on my Kraken Eater General. And I'm like, okay, sure, man. Runs over. They try and do some damage to Manfred with, you know, throwing rocks at him and stuff. You know, impact hits, charges in. Okay, anything you want to do with the start of the combat phase? Because now I'm really confused. Like, does he not know? (laughs) like, Like, this is a guy who's on the American World Championship team. Like, we just, like... We just talked about, like, what my list does. He's like, no. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to give these guys plus one attack because that triggers at the start of the combat phase. And then I'm just going to take Manfred (laughs) and I'm going to put him over here. Oh, God. And he goes, right. (laughs) Manfred does that. Uh, I was like, yeah, I was... uh, really wondering and you asked yes i didn't ask him you know specifically but you what are you doing like you know because i know that this is one of those games that's Mm -hmm. playing out to the top of it like i know in that game i'm not going to get that same courtesy absolutely not so it's just like you know i'm sitting there i'm going okay well i maintain priority into two i send manfred out i kill that other man crusher i'm able to scoot out of the mega gargant's pylon range Mm -hmm. so i drop that man crusher Basically, nothing has happened over the course of the two battle rounds. Like, he's not kicking objectives. He's not really moving forward. It just kind of is. It's really odd. Roll off for three. I win priority, so I give the turn. Mm -hmm. I pull my right objective after a lot of hemming and hawing. Mm -hmm. And then I just basically refuse to play Warhammer for the rest of the game. (laughs) And and what I mean by that is I didn't, you know, is I'm not sitting there just being like, yeah, no, I don't feel like it. I was just like, okay, I just got to, like, delay I just mm-hmm. have to keep mm-hmm. him off of this objective. I have to just kind of keep throwing screens at it. You know, Vangorian Lord and Manford are going to come over here and, you know, they're going to kind of pick apart at this and, and take what they can and get battle tactics where we can. At one point in the game, I had prevented him from maybe it was one or two of the battle tactics, I, but I know I had shortchanged him at least one battle tactic. And as we get to the end, he holds his two objectives. I hold my one and I beat him on one battle tactic because I'm just, yeah, I shortchanged him on two because he didn't get his fifth one either. And I'm just sitting there and I have just these walls of skeletons and walls of skeletons and walls of skeletons. And he's like, well, he gave me priority into five. And I was like, hey, man, like this game is over. He's like, no, no, no. I I think I still have something to play for. And I'm like, okay, you know, you know your stuff best. I went and grabbed this and I went and grabbed that. And his plan was to like 
try and Uber charge the Kraken Eater over a bunch of stuff and just there was no way. There was no way he was going to be able to get that base outside of three inches of everything. Or it was he was going to try and super run him or whatever. He was going to six the run. And just like toe touch the last objective. And it's just... That base is so huge. And then to draw three inches around it on every side where, where I have just created this like layer cake of just yeah. dudes. A hard fought it was a super grit and grind kind of a game mm-hmm. where, you know, every little bit mattered. I knew where my outs were. I played to them. And, sure. you know, it ended up being really important because I hadn't gotten a practice game in versus Giants to that point. So seeing it on the face and testing, you know, kind of some of the things that I knew mm-hmm. in my head going into that game were going to help me if and when I played Giants, you know, sure. in the later games. So what about you, Dan? How did marking territory go for you in game Well, three? actually it went much better than I thought it was going to go. And it was, okay. it came down to priority role, literally, for that game. So I played Sean Clark, who was from the Detroit Crews. So I had Giants. He had two big guys and he had a unit of three man-eaters, and then two singles. Mm-hmm. So we had five little guys, two ones and a three, and then two big guys. And I just went super aggressive. My goal was to get his little guys out, knock his little guy, as many of his little guys out as I could, because he had two big guys. So the most objectives I'm thinking he could hold was two. Mm-hmm. If I can get rid of the little guys, and, and like I charged mm-hmm. my coaches in my hex race, I killed one of the man-eaters. I almost killed the second one. It was down to like two wounds sure. out of the three. I dropped my Crusader, my 20, and my Reapers on the other side, got a wave of terror. I killed the other little guy who was on an objective. Nice. I threw shackles in front of my zombies, and he had a Kraken Eater kind of behind that, between the coach combat and you know my zombies and stuff. And I'm like, that was a really good turn one. I can do this. I, you know, yeah, you're sitting there, you're feeling good. Yeah, you know, and the... it was like, okay, I'm not afraid of giants. You know, this is this is good. Knocking out those man eaters really gave me a lot of confidence in my army mm. that they could. And those are the out. little ones. Yeah. yeah, but nonetheless, you know, be, and but they hit back hard with those ten attacks. You know, that was I was like, how many? He goes ten. I'm like, oh crap. Yeah, ten each. Because he killed one of my coaches. You know, from twenty attacks or whatever it was. Sure. But then that was when it. So turn two was interesting because he had to make a choice with that Kraken Eater, he either goes back to that objective where the Maneater was holding it, or he comes towards the other one, but the shackles were there. And literally, he was just looking at them going, There's no good choices. No, no. And so (laughs) he had to move back. And the nice thing about that was I could just, like, I'm not going to hold that objective, right? So I already had plans for those guys. Right. There's no way. And he wasn't going to get to my objective with the zombies and the vampire lord. He just wasn't going to do it. I still tried to kill, and I got that third Maneater. So I got... Like, no, I killed the second one and I was going for the third. He had that other one on that back objective. I was moving units towards my back objective there and he moved a guy over and he took that one. Mm-hmm. Well, then it came down to priority roll. Sure. And because he won the priority roll, he pulled the one back by the zombies and the game was over because he had the other three at that yeah. point. And there's nothing I could do to get him off two of them because he had big guys. If I had won that though, to kind of talk it through. Obviously, I was going to give him, you know, I was going to give him turn. turn. I was going to blow the one in the back, in his back corner, which I wasn't going to be able to get to. Then I was going to use my harrow to move my Grimgas Reapers because they could have really done a lot of damage to that one man-eater over there on the other one. So I was going to move him. I was going to move my coach back. I was going to treat and charge because I could have done with that. I could have taken that back objective, forced him to put his other big giant on 
you know, one on that one. And the, what was left, because he had to keep his two giants on those two objectives, he was not going to get over and get my objective with that other one. And I was getting all my battle tactics because I did bring down the big one. I got that because I killed one of those guys. It was really close, Brendan. I thought I played really, really well that game. I was really happy with the way I did play and the way my army played. Sean was great guy who's fun to play you know just real professional and but just pleasant to to hang out with and bought me a beer afterwards and we talked a little bit and so it was a good game but again a priority role and you, we talked before and you've said before if you lose on a priority role you you've played a good game mm-hmm. if it comes down to that and that's really what it did and again i'm not afraid of giants now yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so there, it was, that was good good cool. game. so you were two and one at the end of day one yes and i was three and oh yeah. And and an important thing about that day was that was one of the Bucks games. Yes. It was and game so five. we had to get dinner quickly so Brendan could get to the TV. So we went out to some little mom and pop Giro's place. And it was really good. Yeah, it was great. And we got, got you back in time to watch the game. Yeah, that was the end of day one. That was the end so, of day one. So let's take a break. And then we will come back and talk about the last two games and give some of our final thoughts and awards and all those kind of things. Yeah. Here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. We're back. It's day two, and we're back at the Waffle House. That's right. <laughs> for breakfast, of course. It was us and the Potassics who yes. were also at the Waffle House. They they walked in, and that was really cool. Both uh, days. Yeah, Steve and Tracy had their sons there, which mm-hmm. was really cool. It was a family family affair this time for them, which was amazing. Their sons played. We're going to talk about game four next. So, Brendan, how about your game four? So, game four was the Veins of Gur, which is the equivalent of Star Strike for this new edition. Mm-hmm. And it's got a little bit of a different reliability in terms of where everything lands, but the math shakes out to be the same. So mm-hmm. don't worry about it too much. All of them are prime objectives, so you can't pull any of them. Mm-hmm. All of the, you know, the first one in the middle line comes down at the start of battle round two. The ones that come in on the edges of your territories come in at the start of battle round three. Every objective is worth the battle round that's, that it's in. So it's 2, 9, 12, 15. No points available battle round 1 except for your battle tactics. So if this is a mission where your battle tactics aren't as important, they still can be, but probably not too, too much. In this one, I was up against another Munificent Wanderers list. Same sub-faction as the first one, so reduce your rend by 1. Everything that's demons gets buffs. So this was a great unclean one. Bellacor, the Spoilpox Scrivener, and the Sloppy Bile Piper. And then he had a 30 and 2 tens, I think, or it was a 20 and 2 tens of Plague Bearers. Then he had one unit of four Puscoil Blight Lords mm. and a Lord of Afflictions. He put Rustfang on the Lord of Afflictions to try and, you know, kind of contribute helping with the rend save reduction by the Rustfang. At the start of the combat phase, you pick an enemy sure. unit within three inches, and you reduce the save characters to that unit <clears throat> by one for the rest of the game. And you can't do it multiple times. But you can hand out rend to your plague bearers through those support characters, which is pretty okay. Mm-hmm. And then obviously Bellacor can pick a unit, and every time it acts on a three-up, you have to you know, start rolling some dice. So he finished deploying before I did. He deployed a little bit wrong in that he didn't have all of his bubbles managed from the start. So he chose to go first to establish himself a little bit further up, but with the bubbles looped in, which I think right from the start was a mistake. Okay. Just plain and simple, 
shouldn't have, shouldn't have gone first. There was no real benefit in doing so. Having the buffs up or not really wasn't going to mean anything when you talk about like what the top end damage of what like Manfred or if I was really lucky being able to get the Vingorian Lord in as well was going to be able to do. Okay. Wasn't going to be that much. You know, I was going to be able to throw him into the 20 man of Plague Bearers and kill a couple. But at the end of the day, you know, you're talking maybe a handful, not many. Sure. He moves up and he takes Ferocious Advances Battle Tactic, which he gets. In my turn, I do the same thing. My Vingorian Lord goes feral, top of one. Oh, jeez. And you know what? It's not the worst thing in the world. Now, let me ask you a question about that rule. So mm-hmm. it says that you can run and charge, right? Mm-hmm. But then the second part of it says you can't use command abilities. Yeah. But it's So it says you can run and charge, which means you have a choice. Yes. But either way, if you go feral, you can't use your command abilities. Correct. Okay, so that's a that's not an if or, that's a you cannot. Yeah, and so this is a clarifier I submitted was there is no language for use command abilities in the core rules. Mm-hmm. It's issue and receive is the language used. Use yes. is not right. any of them. So mm-hmm. I was playing it as he cannot issue and he cannot receive because I think that that's the intention around Correct. it. It's also the most conservative way to play it. So there's not going to be anybody who's like, mm, I don't know about that. Look, if they want to give me extra rules, I'll take it. But sure. the way of it was is I did that. So he goes feral. I think to myself, neat. I charge. Mm-hmm. I run him. He runs a six just on the dice roll. So that was pretty cool. Him and Manfred come in. They slam into the 20. They decimate it they don't remove it totally i think there's like five left or something like that at the end of it okay but i'm sitting nice and pretty i've moved up you know my whole battle line to kind of broach the center i'm really worried about those puscoa blight lords though if he pairs that correctly with the lord of afflictions and some of the other debuffs that his list can hand out i'm in for a world of hurt but i bring my zombies up through the grave they're basically on the center line on my right side and there's this big huge terrain piece in the middle of the board like right where that objective could land so i've got the left side and the right side managed in the middle is basically no man's land okay cool objective comes down comes down on my right side my opponent goes all right well i'm gonna monstrous take over that objective oh i go okay "Okay, cool you know he he takes the turn which i also think was a mistake sends bellacore over that way and he's like okay you know i have it you don't and i go cool command point redeploy and Yes. I get enough bot, and so he sixed the run to land where he needed to land, and then I just redeploy the the zombies over, and now I've got like seven or eight of them in range. Mm-hmm. So he's not going to get his battle tactic, and he's not going to score that objective, <laughs> and he throws the Lord of you know the Lord of Afflictions that way with the hope of getting into combat with them, but in doing so, the great unclean ones in the way. There's some plague bears in the way. The Lord of Afflictions in the way. He gets frustrated, and there's nothing really to do with the Puscoa Blight Lords. Mm. So he just sends them towards my skeleton unit, unsupported. Like, oh, okay, neat. Okay. Charges them in, tags the Graveguard. The skeletons have Van Hells on them, so they're going to be piling in and fighting twice. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, neat. Kills a bunch of them. Cool. Great. Fantastic. I love it. But he's got the Graveguard tag. I pull the skeletons in a way where the Graveguard are going to pile in and be able to get a fair number of them in. They pull off one. The skeletons pull off one and change on the other. And then it's my turn. Oh. Right? And his turn two took a long time. And over the course of the game, I was like, hey, man, like, we got to pick up the pace on this. Like, we got to play a little bit faster. The pace really never changed. So I play out my battle round two, and there's 30 minutes left in the game. Oh. So I said, you know, before we start this battle round, I said, we need to talk about 
what the rest of this is going to be. Mm-hmm. I said, I think that there's enough time for us to both play Battle Round 3. Mm-hmm. I said, do you agree? I said, I do. I said, okay. So at the very minimum, we're going to play Battle Round 3. Mm-hmm. And if I don't get my Battle Round 3, we're either going to talk about it there or we're just going to leave the score as it is 4-2 to two with my stuff winning. He's like, okay. As you know, and if at the end of it, you know, we can talk potentially about Battle Round 4, it's like, mm-hmm. but we have the time, we're going to play Battle Round 3 and we're either going to play all of it or we're going to play none of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. The objectives drop all three of them on the right-hand side. Oh, God. Which is perfect for me. For you, yeah. Right, because his whole army is blocked off by a Vangorian Lord and zombies and Manfred, and he abandons the one in the middle that he didn't have. He tries to bring Bellacor over to threaten the objective that's on my you know, back right corner. He's standing on a piece of terrain, and he's going to try and charge down that height, and he summons in some plague bears on the other one. Cool. Fails the charge, so he holds one objective, so it's going to be five to four, because he also doesn't get his battle tactic again. You go, all right, well, it's my turn. And in my turn, I hold all of the objectives because Manfred is going to come over and kill what, at least one plague bearer. Right. I hold this objective and I don't have to do anything. I hold this objective and I don't have to do anything. So that's 11 points, mm-hmm. 15 to 5 or whatever it is. And I was like, we can talk about... And because victory points are the tiebreakers, is like, do you feel comfortable talking about what happens in battle round four? He goes, no. I said, okay, that's fine with me. I knew if we talk about battle round four, it's just about how many points do I score as opposed to, you know, what actually is the result. So he got stuck in a, an indecision loop is really Mm. what happened. And that's what ground out most of his time. That's tough. It wasn't him moving models slowly. It was him standing there thinking about things. Sure. Every movement and every interaction for, to me, what felt like an eternity. Yeah. I think in an instance with a less assertive player, that would have really created an issue. Sure. Because I was keeping track of mm-hmm. how long everything was taking. Sure. When I look at the clock on it, hey, one of us is moving kind of quick and one of us is in the mire. Got the win. So that puts me at three majors, one minor win, undefeated going into game five. And how did your Veins of Gur game go? You were looking to come away with... Two and three no. was my goal, but being two and one, I was hoping to win one of those games. I've been there several times before when I've gone into day two, two and one. Sure. I played... Tracy Potassic, which was great. Hadn't played her before. And she brought a Soul Blight army, which was even better because now I can see another Soul Blight army. The more of them I get to play, the better I get at creating mental pictures of the armies I'm going to want. Sure. So that was really great. She had Belladama. She had Manfred. She had uh, Radicar. She had two or three units of wolves. And oh, I'm trying to think of the other stuff. I apologize that I don't remember all the things she had. Uh, but that was kind of the core of her. She had a unit of 10 skellies. Yeah, I don't, she had no grave guards. She had no zombies. Yeah, so that was kind of it. I didn't get as aggressive because, you know, turn one, you don't know where things are coming down. All you can do is kind of set yourself up for maybe two out of three, mm-hmm. something like that. So that's kind of what I did. I wasn't really aggressive moving my coaches and my hex rays forward. I just kind of tried to position them so when I knew where that first one was coming down, I could try to move towards them. I also dropped uh, my unit of 20 and uh, my cruciator in the back corner. The wolves were, they were problematic in that game. I mean, they move so fast and they're not as easy as I had thought they would be to kill. I mean, I had a hard time getting rid of wolves. Sure. Uh, so once the first one dropped, it dropped kind of in the, from my perspective, it was in the, the center right. It was next to that 
big rock in the this one with the big rock in the middle again she had manfred over there she had a lot of stuff in that one area so i was going to be hard pressed to get the model count that i needed to take that objective then when the other two came down the one came down again i think it came down on her right side and mine came down on my left side in my back corner Mm -hmm. and so we ended up getting this big just conglomeration of units against the back left one i she had skeletons there she had wolves there i brought chain rasps over i brought a coach over and we were just fighting for that the one in the middle uh, that was on the right side my right side was just going to be almost impossible for me to get just because of body count and i couldn't get to the back I was trying uh, because Belladama was back there. So I brought another coach. I moved a coach and I ended up charging her. I got, I believe that I got a uh, wave of terror off on her and I actually killed her. Nice. Which was good. And then I got into the backside of her wolves so I could get that objective. And it, so I think it was the end of turn three. It was very close. Uh, the game was so we were both like oh we're going to turn four but just like you we're running out of time let's see how much we could get played and at most we could have gotten through the top of four and i believe she got priority she took four and she ended up winning the major Mm -hmm. on points and so it was a good game it was very instructive for me it just she's a good player and i think we both played a really good game and it was neat to have that challenge of playing another soul blight list It was it was good. Really Her good. pairing of Radicar's command ability for plus one attack off the charge with the Blood Knights is... Oh, and she had Blood Knights. Yeah, yep. yep. and they were hard as hell to get rid of, too. Two units of five Blood Knights with Radicar off the charge That's is, is, is going to clear out. Now, it wasn't as big of a deal to you because you ignore the rend. Yes. It's a pretty beefy freight train. But I couldn't get rid of them. That was the thing. You know, sure. They were there, and I just was having a lot of trouble, and they were very mobile. Yeah, so... Yeah, you put Mystic Shield on the one, and then you put all-out defense on the other, and and you're feeling pretty good about your two-up blocks of knights that are mm-hmm. just sitting there because not everything has rend. You have Manfred hanging out behind them for mm-hmm. plus one to hit, plus one to wound. So their lances are twos, are four attacks, twos by twos. And they were eating stuff up. I, if I recall right, she killed one of my coaches with them. I believe it. It's a high output, and you can create this Death Star around it with Belladama nearby where the sixes to hit are two mm-hmm. hits. So all of a sudden, these four attacks that are twos by twos, rend one, damage two, that are exploding on sixes across ten models is... Uh, the other thing that was kind of funny about our it's game... pretty okay. <laughs> she would roll for a charge, or she would roll for something where she needed two dice, uh, spells and stuff, and she was rolling like ones and twos. Twos and threes. Ones and threes. She was never rolling high. She missed. She must have missed half a dozen spells. But when she rolled like a handful of dice, like 20 dice, it was all four, fives, and sixes. I'm like, whoa. She was just rolling great when it was huge numbers. Mm-hmm. But the little ones, we kind of laughed. Like oh, There was just nothing there. There's huh? another spell. It's not going off. Uh, and obviously, like your list, she had a lot of spells to cast and those kind of things. But it was a good game. And again, I was happy to get to play her and see another soul <laughs> list. So how about your game five? Yeah, so game five is power and numbers, which is the six objectives, three on each side. (laughs) Which I was familiar with. Yeah, it's a good thing because Dan had gotten the practice game in day one. And (laughs) the way it works is the longer you hold the objective, the more it's worth when you go to destroy it. Mm -hmm. In the first turn that you hold it, it's worth one. Two turns in a row is two. Three turns in a row is four. Five turns in a row is eight. Mm Mm-hmm. I was playing another Giants list. I was playing Brad, mm-hmm. and he had uh, Taker Tribes. That's the one where every, all the big Giants count as 30. And he had two Kraken Eaters, which are the ones that kick objectives, 
one War Stomper, and one Gatebreaker. And that's the list. Mm-hmm. Just four, four models. Jumps. Of the Giants list, that's the one that I wanted to see of the rest of the field. Mm-hmm. And I knew it wasn't going to be easy no matter what just because they count for so many. Oh, yeah. Thankfully, I have a lot of dudes, and we'll just be able to spread out and cover and do all that fun stuff. He went first, which I said out loud, hmm, really? And he went, well, now I'm second-guessing it. And I was like, hey, man, do what you want. Because I wasn't expecting him to go first at all. Mm -hmm. Fine. (laughs) And he moves everything up, and he's got three kind of bunched up a little bit coming towards my right side. It's the same table one, so there's this big dumb, stupid piece of terrain in the middle of the table that kind of ends up splitting the board in half. And so in my turn one, I said Manfred and the Vangorian Lord into one of his Kraken Eaters. Everybody tooled up to the nines, you know, going in there, trying to do some work and do a a ton of damage. Just a ton. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was great. Four up save, giants are killable. I mean... Extremely, yes. Absolutely. So, you know, I've got my four plus D3, damage three on the Vingorian Lord. Belladama's behind, so she's handing out sixes to hit or extra hits. And Mm -hmm. we get like 27 or something off of the first one. I'm feeling pretty good. And then from there, I double him and maintain priority, bring down the the one Mega Gargant, and I start creating these walls and lines of models. Mm. He had kicked the one objective on his right towards the center of the board, which had forced, you know, kind of a, a holding pattern around them. He's only got three guys left, but he's scoring all three of his objectives right there and right then. And with the objective on his left, he chose to not kick it and left it where it was. Now I've kind of forced this issue where his three giants are penned into a space. He's got to try and come get these. So I screen out my back left and the center and I end up burning the right one at the bottom of two because if I don't he's going to send his giants over the top of it and burn that objective so I better get the points while I got them sure cool and then he tries to send his gatebreaker towards my back middle objective the war stomper to the left against the Vangorian lord and Manfred I know that if I let him try and murderize Manfred, Manfred's going to die because Manfred doesn't have Mystic Shield. And, you know, like there were some things that I missed out on in that spot, but I feel good about the Vingorian Lord just kind of hanging out. Okay. So I teleport Manfred onto his, you know, middle objective. And the Vingorian Lord is hanging out on the one that he had kicked kind of towards center board. And Kraken Eater's just hanging out, killing like 10 skeletons or something like that. And the Gatebreaker is trying to get into my center middle. He's like, I'm going to burn these two objectives. And I go, whoa, which one do you hold? Because you, you can't hold multiple objectives with the same unit. Mm-mm. And I've got a unit on either. So he has to give up one to burn the other, mm-hmm. which flips control of and it. And you can, just to clarify, you can burn as many as you want that yeah. you own. Yeah. Uh, starting from the second battle round. Right. But you have to control the ones that you burn. And also you throw in the Gur thing and turn three, somebody can burn one. Mm-hmm. Yep, okay. And make him disappear. He burns his back left one, my top right, for two. And he burns the one that Manfred is on for two. Cool. Yeah. All right. But the table has reset on the one that he kicked to the center because now I control it. Mm. He lost control of it. I win priority. He pulls off my center objective. Fine. But now I know at all costs, I got to hold this back left one because that's worth eight. Mm-hmm. And uh, over the course of the game, him and I both missed out on a couple of battle tactics. Mm, okay. And so it comes down to turn five. I just kept winning priority rolls. Sure. Except for 
battle round five. He wins battle round five. And he knows he can't get to that objective. So he has to swing for the fences, Hail Mary. He's going to burn the one objective for four. And he's got to try and complete this battle tactic, bring it down versus my Vangorian Lord, do it with his one remaining monster, because I killed the Gatebreaker and I killed the War Stomper. So all that's left is his general Kraken Eater. So if he can kill that monster with that battle tactic, that'll put us to even on the objectives after I burn the objective marker. And then I have to make sure that I get another battle tactic because then that breaks the tie. Because if I don't, then he gets the minor victory. So he throws in this Kraken Eater, finest hour, just goes all ready for, to go. Goes for broke, okay. He's got to go 10 to 0 on my Vangorian Lord. I think I've got Mystic Shield on him. And he had to pick the... No, I had finest hour on the Vangorian okay. Lord is what it was. Yeah, sure. Because... He was feral. He wasn't going to all-out defense there. And he had to pick the Vangorian Lord, because if he picked Manfred, I was just going to pick Manfred up and put him somewhere else. Sure. It's kind of a tall ask. And he only does, like, six wounds of the Vangorian Lord. He survives. I end up winning the game by, like, two. Mm. Wow. So I 5-0 and the events, four majors, one minor, two giants lists, feeling pretty good. Yeah. So all that was left then was to see where I ended up in the final standings. I was the only undefeated player on the weekend, but this is Wapaka scoring where all parts are weighted equal. So sportsmanship, paint, and gaming are all weighted the same, and then obviously showing up is that last bit of that 25%. But sure. how'd you finish your, your weekend, Dan? Well, I was playing a Sylvaneth player. Uh, hmm. Paul, I can't remember his last name, younger guy. Paul Gein. Gein, yeah. And... Uh, so he had the hero that shoots 20. What is that? Is it Dreicher? Yeah. So shoots 20, I think is... Shoots 20 or melees 20. He had a Tree Lord Ancient. He had the guys that can teleport. Are they Tree, tree Revenants? Mm-hmm. The ones that can do the teleport thing, the Wayfinders or whatever they are? Yeah. So yeah. So Dreicher has 10 ranged attacks. Yeah. The Colony of Flitter Furies, which is... 10 attacks, 4s by 3s, so 1 damage, 1. And he has the Swarm of Squirmlings, which is 10 melee attacks, 3s by 4s, no rend damage, 1, and the Slashing Talons. But there's nothing that would allow him to attack twice. Not that, that we I'm know. Aware okay, of. so anyway, one of the things I want to say, again, it was a very polite game. There were no issues. You know, ah, you can switch to Enraged or Embittered, where you can change the profile to 20 of yeah, either or. But That's you, what, yeah. Yeah, but you can't have both on both, at the same right, time. right. The one issue I had was that it was very hard to understand Paul. He was not articulating well, and I, so I was asking questions that I really wasn't understanding what he was telling me in terms of what his units did. One of the reasons I say that was when he had the unit that could teleport, I wasn't understanding how that worked or when that worked, whatever, mm-hmm. and just because it wasn't explained really well. So it, And later in the game, it, it makes a big difference. Once again, I got super aggressive because if I knew those 20 shots were coming at me, I mean, that's like having 10 freaking shooting snakes again. I had to get rid of that because I moved my zombies. He moved his closer to me. He knocked out like 15 of my zombies just from shooting. Mm -hmm. And it was like one or two more turns like that and they're gone. And I can't have all those zombies gone. I need them on that right flank where I had them again with my vampire lord. I juiced up both of my coaches and my hex wraith and I charged them all over towards that model. And what worked out well was I was hoping to bait him with my hex rays because they were the first unit I moved and he took his shots against them with Unleash Hell. So that paid off really well. That was a good tactic to use. And that turn as well, I picked Bring It Down. 
So I was going to try to bring that model off the board. And I thought it was doable because mm-hmm. it only had like nine wounds or something. So I did kill it, which was great. But it locked my coach and my hex rays into a really bad place because he had five Kiernoth hunters and he had a couple of large tree lord or something some other crazy big models he had like sure. two all three of them were over on that side where my coaches and my hex rays were on the other side though i had a, a screen of 10 just to kind of slow him down on that other side of the board but then i brought in my reliable cruciator my 20 chain rasps next to his left hand objective and i took it i did get off a wave of terror and so i was able to blow back enough models that i could take that and i blew it up right away so he couldn't hold on to it and that really was that put him in a really bad position where he had to get really aggressive on that other side. And he had a tree lord ancient over there. And the screen of 10, of course, got crushed, but it stopped him for a whole turn on that side. On the other side, I had the chance to blow up uh, turn three and I blew up the middle objective on where he was because he had everything there. Like that, I, there was no way I was going to be able to get to it. Hmm. But I have my back three still. And I made the mistake. There's two mistakes I made. Although, again, if I had made one change to my deployment, it would have made all the difference. So I used my Dreadblade Harrow to move my Reapers to that far side where his Tree Lord Ancient was. And he had some Dryads over there. I think it was like 10 Dryads. And what I was hoping to do with that objective that was backed by the Tree Lord Ancient was bait him in with that and get him far enough away from the objective he was near. He bought it. He moved it towards. But before that happened, I killed like three of his Tree Revenants and they teleported. If I had kept my Vampire Lord on that objective. I should have kept her physically on the objective. He would not have been able to get close enough that he could get that objective that time. Mm. So that's what he did. He teleported in. I was like, what? Where where did that come from? And obviously he couldn't have got within six inches. He would have been within nine. Mm. If he had charged my vampire lord, that would not have worked out well for him. I know it wouldn't have because she's pretty tough. Uh, and she would have killed at least a couple of them. Yeah. Because they're only like one wound. And they have a, a reasonable save, but not very good one. So if I could have held that, I would have blown that one up for four points because I think I held it for three turns. Then the other one, I could have very easily used my Dreadblade Hero again to move. Or I could have even run my Grimgas because they can run six inches. Because I have my Hero there, I could have used a command point. They could have moved 14 inches. And I could have had almost that whole unit of 10 on that other objective and I could have blown that one up even for a point because all the other ones were gone. So that would have given me four point five points that turn and I would have been able to win the game. But him teleporting back in that corner, that just did me in. So I think it played well. I obviously that was one mistake and it only takes one in a lot of games. But yeah, overall sometimes. I think I played that Sylvaneth really well. Um he had a lot of dryads who were just pouring out of everywhere and he was just like overwhelming my one side. He got one objective, he blew it up. He got another objective, he blew it up. I moved my zombies there and I got like 10 extra zombies like yeah because i killed them all with my zombies if he had tried if we had gone farther on in the game and i hadn't blown up that backed objective gotten like greedy you know and tried to go the whole way i could have easily thrown shackles out there because he had a couple of big guys coming towards me and it would have just been like nope you're not going to get here by turn five so i lost i lost that game now i know <laughs> every game you learn something and you don't make the same mistake again uh, ideally so, so if i play sylvaneth i'll know to ask the question and i'll know to see those guys and know what they do and take appropriate preventive measures so so that was our five games then it comes down to award time yeah and brendan i had tied for first basically all my points came from battle so knowing that i tied the first tiebreaker was going to be sportsmanship i don't get a lot of favorite opponent votes (laughs) 
my preferred army play style I know is not fun, but Christian Ware ended up winning it, the guy I played round two. So super happy for him for taking first, which meant that I took best general. And Dan, you came home with an award. Surprising. I was shocked. I was just sitting there, as I usually do at awards after events, clapping for everybody else as they go up to get their awards because I don't really expect anything. Sure. I mean, I'm an average player and they called out best sport and I'm like, whoa, because they called my name after mm. best sports. And I was just, I was a little emotional, man, because it's like all the events I've been to, actually taking an award home is a pretty big deal if it's your first time. And so that was really, really great. And that just made my whole weekend. I had had a great time anyway, even though I ended up two and three. That was my goal. But winning best sports was just so, so cool. Did you have any best sports secrets that, that you'd like to share with the listener group? No, I... <laughs> Any top tier strats? No, or? no, just be nice to people. I mean, you Got know, it. be nice to people. Nice. But I think about the other guys who win those kind of like Bryce wins them. You know, Ty wins them. Tom wins them. You know, and I just think of their personalities and and how they play the game. And hopefully, I've emulated that at least some level. I know even a couple of the guys from Detroit came over and they said, "Yeah, we voted for." It. And I was like, "Wow, that that's really cool." Because those guys are pretty hardcore. You know, they come to win and come to play hard. That made me feel really good uh, about what I was doing at the table anyway. Yeah. Uh, but that was really, really cool. That uh, Tom McClure took home best paint. Yep. And True finished like sixth, I think, and yeah. took home best chaos. Yes. Tracy took best death. And our match was the tiebreaker on that, which was really kind of fun when I th- we had talked afterwards. I was like, yeah, you won best death already. And she's like, really? I said, yeah, because I told her Brendan's going to get best something and it mm. won't be best death. <laughs> <laughs> so that was great. I was happy for her that uh, she did that. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, I think Nick didn't do real well. I placed, I think, 13th out of 24. So eh, all good. Nick McKenna made it up in paint. Oh, uh, oh he, he always maxes out on paint. Yeah, he, so cool. yeah, so he came back and tied for paint and the tiebreaker is overall standing. So Tom McClure got that because Tom had won a couple of games. Well, and I was really pleased, I think, as you always talked about 20. If you get more than 20, that's really good. So I think I got 23 points on paint. And so I was really, really happy with... That this. means in this case, you got three army votes. Not, I have no complaints at all where I ended up and yeah. how, scores I got and points I got. And it was, it was all good. So all a great time. We'll move off of the reviewing and recapping idea yeah. and we'll move towards the what did we learn? What are we doing differently side of this? I got a few things, Brendan, and then I'll let you, know, mm. you go through your stuff. I think the first thing for me, the takeaway is tactics are so important in this edition. You really have to be aware of what they are, when to choose them, and realize how important they are to making the difference between a win and a loss. I don't think we really understood that until we played these games. You kind of did because you had some practice games and stuff, but it didn't pop out until the scores are actually on the sheets and you're looking at what the tiebreakers were and stuff. So for me, tactics is a big thing moving forward that you really need to focus on and make sure you remember and to use the right ones at the right time. The way I'd explain it, the way I think about it is... I have typically what my opener is going to be. And for almost everybody, it's Ferocious Advance. Almost. O- almost everybody. I keep another one in my pocket that I feel like I can go score no matter what, whenever I want, however I want, wherever I want. Mm-hmm. Cool. So that's two of my five settled. And then there's the other three end up being kind of an up-in-the-air situation-based 
concept Mm -hmm. where if your opponent has a 10-man screen of a battle line unit well maybe it's broken ranks a clock you know Mm -hmm. if they have kind of a wimpy monster those other ones are ones that you have to take as the situation allows but having when you get to the table kind of having a roadmap for how it is that you plan to go through it is going to help you one in terms of the timeliness of your decision making but two your ability to complete them yes because if you look at it as like a blank slate of every time you're coming to it like it's new no you're not going to get them no it's not going to work out for you yeah getting the plus one for monster v monster interactions is nice and that could help you in some spots but there are a lot of missions where there are just more points on the board than the battle tactics so i wouldn't say you play one to the exclusion of the other but if you've got to Mm -hmm. sacrifice one for the other i'm saying sacrifice the battle tactic and if you can score the rest of the board right you know but if you and your opponent are going to go blow for blow then that's where battle tactics is going to end up shaking out and being the most important thing but yeah remembering them for (laughs) to start is and that but we've seen we saw so many people this weekend who did forget and so that's again a carry forward whatever you need to do whatever play aid you need to have to make sure that that you you know that you do it even if you don't get the one you picked at least you remember to do it and gave yourself the shot sure I think that's really important the next thing for oh go ahead yeah because if you're going to get to the end of the turn you're like oh shoot I didn't pick a battle tactic you'd be like cool none Uh, (laughs) right exactly that's what I was talking about I'm not just going to give you one to play the result like cool zero yeah just give me a minor win now then I'll give yeah. you the battle tactic. You give me a minor win. Okay. The next thing that I thought was interesting was, and I call them hidden command abilities. It's the new stuff that we really haven't thought about before or had to think about, but it was like redeploy, unleash hell, those kind of things. Rally. I even used rally and I got like five models back one time when I really needed some bodies. Mm-hmm. But those were things that you never had to think about before, but now they're really viable tactics that you have available to you. So you need to be aware of them moving forward. And you need to understand when you use them, the timing for using them, and you need to understand that there's a cost to using them as well. I just think that going forward, that's a really important piece because each one of them has a certain amount of value. Certainly, Rally has the minimal, I think, of the three, but the other two, depending on the army you're playing, you redeploy. We used that before we went. I saw people use it. I used it once and it was very helpful. I and saw other re- people use it. Redeploy won me my game four. Yep. Those specific command abilities, I think, are very important. I didn't see anybody in terms of heroic actions. I think everybody got that one. I, I never saw anybody miss that, use the heroic action. Even people were reminding each other, hey, you know, you need to take. So that, I didn't list that. as Another thing that I thought was really important is spatial awareness now. Mm. Uh, just the way the the missions work, and even though some of them are similar, the fact that you can remove objectives Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes. And it's a can statement. You're not you don't have to. No. There are going to be times in a marking territory game where you're much happier with there being four of them on the board as opposed to three. And if it's your turn to pull them, you can just say, No thanks. Yeah. It's a can statement. It's not a must, it's not a shall. Yeah. It's a can. Just that spatial awareness of where the objectives are, where they might not be. Those things are really, really important going forward. I feel it's certainly it's at least as important as it was before. But somehow, because of some of the battle plans we played and what we've seen, I think it's more important now that you understand where your units are, where they should be, uh, and trying to anticipate those kind of things in these different games because of how things can change, including objectives. Even if you don't have Krakens to kick stuff around. (laughs) Sure. Uh, The last thing for me was having a cheat sheet. And we've talked about mine. It was just so important. There's so many things that I 
forgot or would have forgotten if I had not had this Mm -hmm. so many times that I wouldn't have used command abilities and I wouldn't have used command points on certain things. And I'm like, oh crap, I can use that. I need to do that. And it's like, oh yeah, okay, there we go. I need that. I need to move forward that six inches, but I can only do that once and to one unit. Sure. Okay. I need to be aware of that. So where's my priority thinking about that? Having the cheat sheet, having the part of my cheat sheet is having all the things I get from the battalions. So I don't forget those because there's some things that are once per battle. Like one of my coaches can get all out attack for free. Yep. Doesn't count as anything received. Counts as received. It doesn't but count as issued, issued and it doesn't cost a command point. Correct. Once per battle, if you get strategist, you can get a free command point. That's awesome. That's really important. Um, remembering my triumphs because I always had triumphs. I was always a little less than everybody. But having that all in here too was really, really helpful for me because then I didn't forget any of those things. And again, I think this is for a lot of players. There's some players who know, like yourself, you know the rules so well that this isn't probably as useful for you. But I think of a lot of other people that this will be useful for some kind of a cheat sheet. So that's the other thing moving forward. I know that I'm going to have to have specifically for each list that I have. Sure. So at Nashcon, I'm going to have to have two of these cheat sheets because I'm going to have two armies. But anyway, those are some things that I'm thinking moving forward. How about yourself, Brendan? I was more interested in seeing the different lists that everybody came out with. And I will say this to anybody who wants to go out and win events, get some practice games in versus Giants, you're going to see them. And it's not because I think that they're the best book, but because they are, number one, super easy to collect. And number two, they have a very low mental tax. So the number of decisions you have to make every game are pretty low. But they play all of these missions very well at a very minimum. You know, they can move over a lot of your units. They have the ability to just outscore oh, your... That's, that's so important. Your objectives. And all they got to have is just a toe in on it. And if you've got 29 guys in that <clears throat> unit and because... Pretty much everyone's going to be taking the Taker Tribe in Giants. If Omega's on that objective and you've got 29 just regular dudes, he owns that objective. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's it. Take him down to five wounds. He doesn't care. He's still worth 30. Exactly. So. If you have a competitive lean towards this game, you need to make sure that you're getting practice games in versus Giants. Even if it's just one or two, you need to understand where the mechanics are and where the weaknesses lie. You need to understand and be able to answer the question, how does your army function versus giants? Mm-hmm. Because if you say, I lose in these missions versus giants, well, okay, you're probably not winning that event if you run into one. And it's minimum four models to, to own mm-hmm. the army, so... You're going to see it. Yep. You're going to see them. Just... Yeah. Probably see six giants at your at your Bruce City with 3,000 points. Bruce you know? City, I'm, I'm expecting to see a lot of giants. Yeah. But who doesn't want to play 3,000 points worth of giants? Of course. You have that bit. The Nurgle players did well. And it confirmed something that I had seen in the practice games, you know, versus Dave, where Nurgle is a force to be reckoned with again. It's been a long time for some folks, and I think the lists in particular that were brought were well positioned against the majority of the field. My army, there's nothing really to take away by Mm -hmm. what it is that they do, so I just go, cool, neat. I have more bodies than you, and they're more durable in terms of, like, the the long-term perspective of it. Sure. So yeah, go ahead. I don't have rend for the most part. Like, sure, you can reduce rend blank to rend blank, but I don't care. Yeah, go ahead. Something like that. Daughters are still going to be good. I think people are sleeping on Soulblight. Obviously, I'm a little bit biased in that endeavor. Mm. But like, I really just brought a toolbox list. Like, all my units do something, and all my units have roles, and they're broken up into little different groups. And Mm. depending on what I'm playing, I'm going to use all those different tools differently. Sure. If this is a mission where my zombies are going to do the heavy lifting but my graveguard aren't very good 
well, my graveguard are suddenly going to become kind of a weird throwaway unit, and my opponent's going to go, what the hell is going on over here? Like, yeah. my zombies are the throwaway unit, the graveguard are what I need, or Manfred and the Vangorian Lord are what's going to do the heavy lifting, then I need to make sure that I protect those pieces in the right way and buy them enough time. Well, and your skeletons are just grist for the mill. I mean, that's really... That's what they kind of always are. Yeah. Van Hell's on them is so powerful, and then saving the command point in my pocket either as one physically or as the for free one to make sure that, yeah, I lost a bunch of them, but I piled in and fought twice and my unit's still basically full command point. Mm -hmm. Don't got to worry about running or nothing like that. Right. Obviously, I want to see different results from different places, but where we left off in 2.0, the meta is going to be different than you remember. So don't feel bad if your list doesn't look like it used to from, you know, previous outings or things like that they're going to kind of just end up being that way. And stuff that you remember being big and scary isn't necessarily going to be big and scary anymore. So as I approach the next event, I think I was going about the list building and, and the actual playing of the game the right way in terms of what I was looking for. In NashCon, we were looking for a double list. I'd be looking for my second list to kind of attack some of the weaknesses of my first. Or my first does have some slowness and... It does really good board coverage, but I can't go out and touch somebody for the mm. most part, except via Manfred. But even then, that's it's a one-man show. If you have that piece very well protected, you know, Manfred's yeah. not getting through it. Like, okay, sure. He'll do some damage. He'll pull some stuff off, but I'm not going to sit and fight and take shots all game. It, sure. He'll die. Like, that's... Right. You have to use the pieces appropriately, so... That's where I'm at. All right. Well, great weekend. Thank you again, Mike and company, for putting that together for us. It was a great experience. Thank you for all my opponents to you know put up with me for my games. And I just had a great weekend with a bunch of great people. And uh, looking forward to the next event, my friend. Yeah, me too. A couple of weeks. Okay. So that's it for our second part of Sigmar 3.0. We'll talk about the third part in the close, the show close. So be sure to check that. Other than that, we are going to move on to our usual segments. And the next one is Scriptorium. New releases, Brendan, there is nothing. There's a War Cry book called Catacombs. Other than that, everything is the same as the last episode. We really have nothing new that's dropped or even looks like it's going to drop, but we'll see what happens. So we can go through that real quick. Sure. <laughs> what about your stuff? Piece of cake. So I'm still working on Peaky Blinders. I'm on season five, which I think is the last season. You're so far ahead of me now. I'm never going to catch up. That's okay. It's still really good. I'm still really enjoying it. I really liked season four. I think I'm on like episode two of season five, but the fact that there are six episode seasons, man, it just mm. it just goes like it's nothing. Yep. I've been listening to more of the first wall because I want to just grind through that and get mm-hmm. to Saturnine. How you doing? You getting there? It kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. if I'm yeah. A, yeah, but are you getting you making progress though, so you can get to Saturnine? Yeah, I mean we're you know listen to like an hour here, an hour there, but like. I don't know. I just don't yeah. think it's very good. And, and that's, it's okay to say that. It's, mm-hmm. it, we're here to be honest with our reviews. So. The the Iron Warriors storyline, I think, is super boring. That will change. The Adaba, I think that storyline's kind of boring. Yes. The Mercedes, uh, not Mercedes, oh. the, the Keeler and the Euphrates Keeler. Cinderman. And, and Cinderman, Cinderman yeah. and the Custodian, I think is interesting because like they're clearly like alluding to some goings on. And they're in moving there. towards some end game for all of them, yes. Yeah. Like that's pretty clear, and I'm interested in that. The Abaddon part of it is fine. Like there's just so many parts of it where I'm just like, I do not care. 
I wish I could just kind of skip over this chapter, you know, not worry about losing something because like, I know if I skip over a chapter, it's going to be the one where they're like, and actually, you know, the tank commander was a space marine. And you're like, oh, and he was from the Alpha Legion and he corrupted everybody in the unit. And you're like, oh my God, that hasn't happened in the book. So don't worry about it, guys. Like, I know if I do that, like, it's going to be one of those big reveals where like everything gets tipped on its side a little bit. And I don't know. I trust you in that Saturnine is very good, but first wall has been and that's fine has been so boring okay fair enough what about you talk about my read and the only thing i'm reading is my gray knights book i'm still making it through that i hadn't read it for so long and i love the gray knights the more i read the story the more i realize i should have read this earlier because i love their Mm storyline there's one point in the story i'm not giving a whole lot away where there's a traitor inquisitor who has been sequestered in this inquisitorial ordomalius fortress and you just know this guy just there's something about him that this isn't going to end well mm-hmm. you shouldn't have put him there this is not gonna go the way you think it's gonna go with him but it's fun now they're, they're kind of talking around it but you know they're gonna circle back to it at some point okay. so that it's kind of an interesting element in the story so i'm really enjoying the gray knights trilogy i started watching how to become a tyrant on netflix very interesting if you know anything about history there's going to be a lot of stuff here that you know already like when they talk about hitler they talk about the reichstag fire they talk about the beer hall push and all those things you know it's just how they connect all these different tyrants because they picked like eight or ten from a really wide variety of places and time it's interesting to understand and listen to the tactics that they use and then i think what's going to happen is you if you have any knowledge of current events you're like oh (laughs) you're going wow that could happen again or that's happening now or those kind of things really interesting connections so really enjoying that as far as listened uh, i finished trader rock which is the cent- second minka lisk uh, it's the sequel to fraggle rock <laughs> fraggle rock <laughs> it's the sequel to uh, katie and honor which again i've said they're kind of like Tanith in that Cadian was destroyed. Mm. And so now you have this Cadian regiment that's trying to find its place in the universe. It's really good. And she's a really cool character. Some other supporting characters who are excellent. I just really like it. And if you did like Gaunt's Ghost, I think you will like reading these books along the same lines in some way. Not nearly the intensity in terms of the characters or you don't have this specialist thing going on where the ghosts are scouts and all that. But these are Cadian shock troops, so they have their own specialty in a way. I finished God Blight and it was so good, Brendan. That's good. Oh my gosh, after two other books. I'm glad it was better than the first wall. (laughs) It was so good. And the voicing was just amazing because so much of the book is demons talking to each other mm. and they're just like harassing each other like I'm first to grandfather well I'm grandfather second but I'm gonna be first they're just like a bunch of whiny kids but these are demons who can like look at a tank and blow it up you know that kind of thing and just the battles that Gilliman has and it's just really good really good story there's so many elements involved and so many pieces and parts that Guy Haley keeps together as the story flows there's a little bit of humor in there because of the way again these demons are acting and the way they're reacting and they're nurgle demons so they're not angry they're always like happy you know (laughs) it's really it's good it was an excellent book uh the other thing i started the listening to i listened to it's called cartwright's cavaliers and it's the first of a 12 book series it's a lot of books well i may not i'm just trying the first one to see it's called the four horsemen and it's about these future mercenary 
companies. And the four horsemen are four different companies who each have a horse in their emblem, mm-hmm. whatever. I think it's like 23rd century, maybe. It's the people. And so if you like Battletech, you know, those books or whatever, this is different. Okay. It, it, it's about the people more than it's about anything else. You still get the combat and you still get the combat suits and the mechs and stuff. It just the story and the exposition to set everything up was just so cool. But I'm really enjoying it. So it's called Cartwright's Cavaliers. First book. If I don't like it, what the heck? I'll look for something else. But I'm enjoying it so far. And that is it for me. Cool. Okay. Scriptorium is done. This or that. Yep. It's coming right up. This or that? That or this? Yeah. Brendan, preference? No. Okay, I'll go first. Okay. Two of the, quote, new command abilities. Sure. Which do you have a preference for in terms of the meta, not in terms of games you've played, because I know what that answer would be. Mm -hmm. So unleash hell or redeploy? Redeploy. I think it's going to be more widespread and more impactful than unleash hell is. Unleash hell is situational in that you have to even have a unit that has a shooting profile to be able to use it. Now, for right. some armies, it's right. going to be quite sizable. And I saw it a lot more than I saw redeploy. That's why I asked. Sure. So there are going to be units that benefit from it greatly, and there's going to be armies that use that to great effect. But every army you're playing is going to be able to use redeploy at some point, potentially a meaningful way, mm-hmm. either to zone off an area of the board from somebody else or to make a charge more difficult. Or if you feel that that unit is likely to be able to make the charge to make sure that they don't pick up as much ground as you're trying to hope for. Okay. Okay. So you played some games now at a tournament. Mm-hmm. Zombies, Just a few. Are, zombies are skellies. And I'm asking this because I've asked this before, but now that you've played with them in this new battle tome i'm wondering if your thoughts have changed at all it's still skeletons there's still don't get me wrong zombies have a job and they have a role and they and they more do than as, they did before do you think? oh much more than they did before okay and you know we covered it in when we were doing the soul blight book review yes where before zombies were just kind of this weird like kitschy you know just <laughs> they were a meme almost yeah you had people that would bring like 180 of them and you'd go weird man but okay i think zombies as they are presently constructed have a role and have a job and they do it well okay so do skeletons. And in my particular playstyle, because with the, you know, almost two dozen games of Soul Blight I have under my belt at this moment in time, the playstyle is patience. And there is nothing that embodies that more than skeletons. Because if you don't commit everything you have to getting that unit gone, I'm just going to grind you down and I'm going to hold that point and I'm just going to roll over and I'm going to be the one there and you aren't okay skeletons cool all right easy so now that you played giants sure you've seen a lot of giant stuff i, I have i've seen a, a few of them so you get a choice in your first game at the next tournament mm-hmm. you can either play a giants list or a ko list with your soul blade oh you monster <laughs> i think i'm reasonably well equipped to handle both of them in this present moment in time mm. the Caradron overlords took a bit of a hit in that a lot of things don't give them rerolls anymore they give them you know pluses to hit mm-hmm. having plus to save available to everybody reduces the effectiveness of kind of their widespread rend one mm-hmm. which cool i like it capping them at only plus one to hit that's good good I think I fare better than in previous lives against Caradron Overlords. 
Because I mean, and a lot of the reason I won game five was I maintained priority in the times and places that I needed to. I mean, there's a close game. So it wasn't like I, I ran away with it. it was a two point win when it was all said and done. The Caradron overlords at this moment in time, I don't think have the same bit of teeth. Joe Pagano and I were talking about that this morning because he had played a, a one dayer with his Caradron overlords and mm. they just don't do as much. And that's kind of what I had heard from other places. And he's become pretty good player so i They're definitely the tower of sigmar i mean you know and so it's i don't have a problem with that they go as the edition does okay two non-sigmar questions all right the first one is not that you'll have a choice if you knew that inevitably you're going to get a back or a knee injury oh great which would i prefer <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean i've been living with a back injury of some variety since i was a junior in high school and it is living with it for that long yeah i am i still am only in recent years has it become more manageable and no thanks so i'll take the knee injury i've never had like a really bad knee injury you know i've had it lock up on me a couple of times doing different things but i've never had a really bad one having a bad back affects your life in every day in every way sure okay next one so you're gonna pick a skirmish game okay it's not sigmar Boo, hiss, boo. So I'm going to teach you either Kill Team or Necromunda. Okay. Which would you rather I teach you? I really don't know either of them. So Just based on the little you know. I'll say Necromunda. It's more flavorful. Okay. That's my five questions, my friend. Okay. Do you prefer the hotel breakfast or the Waffle House breakfast? Oh, that's not even a real question because it's Waffle House all day. Okay. All day, my friend. Uh, just the environment, just walking in there and sit at the counter and watching stuff go on is just enjoyable. As we were sitting there with Nick, he was reacting like he'd never been in a Waffle House before. And I was like, man, how have you never done this? Like, <laughs> It's so cool. Yeah, It's 24-7, my guy. It's, <laughs> it's better than George Webb, I'm just telling you. <laughs> at an event, would you rather play using a roughly 100-plus model army, kind of like what you do with your Night Haunt? Mm-hmm. Certainly with your Chainrass version of your Night Haunt. Yeah. Or four. A hundred. Why? I've thought about this since I played them. And I was thinking of a version of my list that had enough bodies, enough, you know, and even if I'm playing at 3,000, but if I'm playing at 2,000, I can only take at most four 20 units of Chainrass. I sure. can't take more than that. But I can take a whole potload of tens. Yes, you can take a lot of tens. You and can if, have infinity tens. And if people, in most cases, are they're giving me top of the turn first turn. Because I always have way too many units. Not too many, but I always have a lot. You're like 11, 12, 13 drops. If I have 10 or 12 units of chain rests, and and there's a giant army, four big giants there, I can just layer. I could just put one unit and then another unit, one unit. I could could put three layers of units. That's just chain rasps. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't be able to go anywhere. I could literally lock those giants into the board. They would have to deal with those guys. Sure. And I can always retreat. I've learned finally after so many games the value of retreating. Like, what are they going to do, honestly, against that many little units? The MSU thing. What can they do? They can't do anything. You can't kill them by throwing at them. You're not going to get all of them. A unit of 20, we've seen what happens with that against a giant. Many times you can't take it out in one turn. So if I hold it's very you, difficult to, yeah. I hold you up for two or three turns before you can even get out of your deployment area, you know, in a meaningful way. Wow, great stuff. 
man, then the rest of my army can just do its thing and you can be the one running around. Mm-hmm. I thought about that and it was like, I need to paint some more chain rails because I might just do that. Oh God, you have 80. <laughs> how many more does, how much more does one man need? Well, you know what? I can always bring my 40 zombies too. True. <laughs> anyway, I think I'd rather take the bodies for that reason. Okay. So as we talked about, this was your first event in which you took home an award, you know, yeah. a your first five yeah would you and you were in a position to now you didn't know that you were going to be in the position to get the one but you were in a position where you knew if you were going to be able to get the other in the best death right Mm -hmm. would you have rather left the weekend with best sports or best death that's a great great thing i would rather have less left with sports okay and the reason is is that it's harder to get that because there's a lot of good a lot of good people at these tournaments. A lot of good people who just are really fun to play at the table. So I think there's a lot more competition, honestly, in a lot of ways than there is for a best death. Mm-hmm. And again, it came down to who won priority, you know, kind of in that game that Tracy and I played. Yeah, and about round four. Yeah, but that's not what I, I think won me best sport. So I, th- I would rather get that. It's more, means more to me. Okay. So the last two are basketball questions. Okay, fair enough. Game six in and of itself was its own magnificent performance by the one, the Greek free uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, which was arguably the greatest single performance in a closeout game in NBA Finals history. That's arguable. Right. The math is there. It Mm -hmm. was excellent beyond excellent. So we're going to put that to the side for just a second. All right. At the end of game four and at the end of game five, Giannis was either the primary or a significant contributor into two very memorable moments. In game four, you had the sunblock. And in game five, you had the value. Which of those two do you think was more whatever? Important, impactful, that you liked more, whatever it was. Which one of those did you think was more? I think the block was worth more. The sunblock. The sunblock, because I think mentally that just hit a spark in everybody on the Bucks team when they saw that. It just fired them up. They were just playing super after that. Just It was like lighting a fire under each and every other player. Somehow, it just emotionally and mentally just put them at a different level. Yeah, yeah that play was nuts. It was. Obviously, it's very difficult to understate how good Giannis was mm. over the course of not just the playoff series, but the finals in particular. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A finals line that has never occurred Mm-mm. in NBA finals history, ever. Mm-mm. So who was the best non-Giannis book in your mind? Middleton. Okay. I think so. Chris Middleton. Yeah. I think so. I, I just like him as a player and as a person. He seems... It's funny. I remember seeing something that Giannis said. If there's somebody I had to build a legacy with, it would be it would be Chris Middleton. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because of his personality. I think that he's always. I don't think he's ever been that superstar, but he's always been a major contributor to what the team does. And I think that's a cool place to be. And I think that speaks a lot to his personality and who he is as a person. That that's what he wants to do. Because I think maybe he could do more. He's, well, and, and there are instances where he does get to do more. So yeah. like in the Atlanta series where Giannis got injured in game four and they were without him for game five and six, Chris Middleton played lights out in mm-hmm. games five and six and of that's the Atlanta leadership. series. That's what leadership is. But leadership isn't always being in the front. It's also because it, I think he is cool in that he adjusts. He knows when to adjust. He knows when to step up when he needs to. He knows when to be a supporting player when he needs to. And a lot of players don't know when to do that. They're always me. <laughs> Yeah. So, good stuff. Yeah, so those are my five. All right, man. Show close. Show close. 
there is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. Episode 79 mm-hmm. is the last in the series. What we're going to do, listeners, is we're going to take some specific things that we've talked about in general and based on our experiences here and based on what's out there and the more and more we see, we're going to break down the grand strategies and talk about those. We're going to talk specifically about the eight battle tactics. We're going to talk about the 12 battle plans. And we're going to talk a little bit about endless spells because there have, there have been very significant changes in those. So I think it's worthwhile. Yeah, we're we going to spend a little those. more time on them. And we need to because we need to circle around. And we're going to talk about the general endless spells, not what's in battle tomes, because those are the things that are in the the General's Handbook and play, things that have easy access for everybody. So we're going to plan on doing that probably in a couple weeks. Again, we'll go ahead and knock that out. And then episode 80, by then, we should have a new battle tome or and or, Brendan, we're going to have another tournament to talk about. At the very least. So we're in good shape for some time. we got the tournament and we've got two battle tomes and we've got your events. So we're going to be booked up through September, which is awesome. We're always very grateful when we're able to do the roadmap for (laughs) what a couple of episodes look like, as opposed to, as some of you remember from uh, the pandemic shows, where we're going like, uh, we don't know what the topic's going to be in two weeks, but we'll figure it out. And whatever it is, you'll enjoy it. (laughs) Non-optional fun. So that's the plan. Thanks again for stopping by. We hope you guys are having a good summer. And we hope you've had a chance to play some tournament events. For most of you, I'm sure you have, whether it's a small event, a local event, or something a little bit bigger. And uh, we're looking forward to good things down the road. So anything else from you, Brendan? No, I think that's it. Okay. Yeah, easy enough. So again, everybody, uh, take care, and we'll see you next time around. Bye! This is the end.